some experts from the Oceanographic Institute on the mainland. Only 24 hours. I didn't agree to that. Only 24 hours. this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. It's not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cards. This shark swallow you whole. Shaking, tenderizing, down you go. And we gotta do it quick. I don't bring back the tourists. I don't put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for 10. And you gotta make up your minds. You wanna stay alive and ante up? You wanna play it cheap? Be on welfare the whole winter. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head. Tail, the whole damn thing. Welcome to the Film 89 Podcast, this is episode 52, and I'm still Sky, and with me is... Hey Podcast, Neil Gaskin, how you doing? And we are from film89.co.uk, and as you've seen from the episode title, this is one of the big ones for us, one of those special films that has been on our dream list to cover since the Film 89 Podcast was just a pipe dream. That film is of course Jaws, and to coincide with the film's 45th anniversary, we are giving you, our loyal listeners, something which, as far as we're aware, has never been done before. A Jaws audio commentary. Certainly not on Laserdisc, DVD or Blu-ray, um, has there ever been a commentary on Jaws before? And as much as we're probably not going to be able to match the um, magnificence of Steven Spielberg if he ever gave you a commentary, um, we're certainly going to try our best to dive into the history and the making of uh, this amazing film. Now, it's a special episode, not just because Jaws is one of our all-time favourite films, but this is also the single most requested episode by you, our good listeners. And when we ran a poll in May 2018 for nominations of films to receive a Film 89 audio commentary after our Casablanca commentary, Jaws was the most requested film and has remained the film that you guys and girls most want us to cover. So you can either listen to us talk for 124 minutes about Jaws as you would a regular podcast episode, or for added enjoyment, you can pop in your Jaws DVD blu-ray or digital copy to watch along with us so grab your copy get it to the beginning of the universal logo and hit pause and we'll be right back okay if you're ready to go i'm gonna give you a little countdown in three two one now ah good old 
Universal logo. <laughs> Something quite stupid about that. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they, 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 up, they did the um, logo up, didn't they, for the 75th anniversary, you know, with the big yeah. the letters coming around the planet and, and, and whatnot. Ah, should we just sit here for two hours <laughs> just uh, gushing <laughs> yeah, over it's just, it? It's fading to black now, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, we are, we're back. Uh, <laughs> Zanuck Brown production. Uh, of course, that was uh, film producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown. Uh, Jaws obviously based on Peter Benchley's best-selling novel released in 1974. Uh, the novel grew out of Benchley's interest in shark attacks after he learned about the exploits of a shark fisherman called Frank Mundus in 1964. Uh, publisher Doubleday then commissioned him to write the novel in 1971, which was a period when Peter Benchley worked as a freelance journalist. And it was after that then that Richard Zanuck and David Brown had read the novel before its publication and bought the film rights selecting a promising young director by the name of Steven Spielberg to direct the film adaptation it's going to be impossible not to jump straight to John Williams' music is yeah. it? because it is just you know we've said on the podcast before haven't we this is probably the most synonymous uh John Williams score for me to be honest do you think yeah this is yeah. where I sat up and actually took notice of who John Williams was as yeah. a youngster yeah and it's been said isn't it time and time again that as incredible a film as Jaws is if you take John Williams' score away from it it just doesn't work anywhere near as effectively does it well you've got like two or three chords basically playing haven't you yeah, it's yeah. like simple sort of stuff and it's just so effective well yeah when he um when John Williams first played the music, the Spielberg, and, and that sort of just four notes, he was like, what, is that it? What's, what's the rest of it? What yeah, where's the rest? We've been doing it the last six months. Yeah. <laughs> There's the actress whose name I can't remember. but uh, uh, that, that, That'd be uh, young Chrissy, uh, played by Susan Backlinney. That's right, who was an actress, wasn't she? She was uh, some sort of animal trainer, wasn't she, as well? Yeah. Stepwoman. Yeah. Most of these that, your people you see the extras on the beach are just like extras from the town, yeah. aren't they? From Martha's yeah. Vineyard. Not, yeah, from Martha's yeah. Vineyard. Now, Chrissy, there's always been this label attached to Jaws. It's like the first summer blockbuster, and people have argued that there were others before it, but this isn't just an accolade that you give to it without merit because Jaws had proved so successful in test screenings that the heads of MCA Universal, Lou Wasserman and Sid Scheinberg, basically redesigned the release schedule for Jaws so instead of the usual platform pattern where film would open first in big cities before rolling out into smaller markets it opened on almost 500 screens simultaneously which was you know that was unprecedented back when the film was released on June 20th 1975 and it's redefined how films would be released thereafter and it established a North American distribution and marketing pattern how lucky is this dude that he passes out on a beach now yeah isn't he (laughs) just yeah yeah and um, yeah, it um, it basically changed the you know the model for the film industry, uh, you know, into you know the way it is today. So yeah, from that point of view, it really is, isn't it? The first oh, yeah. big summer blockbuster, or the one that was like the big game changer. So we got to we just surfacing now. She thinks she can come on. What's going on? Mine in the water. Ah, oh, thank God he had that extra couple of beers. Now look at this shot. It's the a, iconic it's to, shots. It's great to point out, mind you, like we've we've often said about this film being a PG. I mean, you got a clear bit of side oh, boob there when she's swimming, don't you? Like, you know. <laughs> this film being a PG, you know, even more so than later on in the film where you know spoilers. And if this is your first time watching Jaws, then thank you for selecting our commentary. But <laughs> we really do advise you to watch the film on its own first. But you yeah, know, that, get, get that bit where, first. yeah, the bit where Quint gets nearly bitten in half is is incredibly you know gruesome. But this, like this, you know, without a single bit of blood. 
without any gore, you know. And how effective is this? I mean, she's basically just being, I mean, just dragged around by scuba divers on ropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or with, like, you know, um, cables attached to her on a harness. And when you think about it, I mean, nowadays this is all be like CGI and yeah. you know, the effects to it. And mm-hmm. there's the practicality of this. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's rational. Now, th- this must be shot day for night, yeah? Yeah, because definitely. Yeah, because definitely. You, you can see that... It's got that sort of camera, yeah. camera touch to it, haven't Yeah, it? it's like <laughs> as if they've, they've shot it in bright daylight and then they've just, you know, yeah. turned down the brightness and the contrast because you can see something reflecting off yeah, she's, the water. she's too well lit. Yeah, she is, she is. But it, you know... And it's that... When she goes down and doesn't come back up. Now, it was one of the rewatches of Jaws I did maybe about, I don't know, maybe eight to ten years ago, when I hadn't seen it for quite a long time, where that bit just hit me harder than I ever had before. Well, it was saying when they were doing the ADR for it that um, Spielberg was there recording with her and actually waterboarded her, basically, pulled yeah. water straight down yeah. her throat to need to get our last gulp. Because you just forget how, how, how terrifying that scream is that she's giving out. And it's a sort of begging for mercy as well, isn't it? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. Please, God, yeah. help. So we have Ellen Brody, uh, played by Lorraine Gary, who was wife of um, Universal head honcho Sid Scheinberg. It's not like she got the role. Don't give her that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she's brilliant, isn't it? i got to be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. And one of my sort of um, sort of oddly attractive strange crushes. Yeah. She's not traditionally... No, no, no. There's something about her. Something about her. Yeah. <laughs> something about her. Definitely. And you as one of my all-time favourite actors... Uh, Roy Scheider. You know, he's an absolute legend. He is, isn't he? You, you know, a proper actor's actor, you know, Broadway actor. Doing his, do his best Boston accent there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's from New York. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the days, weren't they? Just, yeah. like, just come on, come, you come, come in, in. Blood, play on a rusty swing, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> These days, it'd be straight down accident and yeah. emergency. Yeah. I mean, sort of that straight introduction straight away. Look, you know, he's not really sure how you deal with someone who's got a miss in a sea, is he? Or do, yeah. they, do they just float? Do they just wash up? Well, I think we've established that he's not been um, the police chief at Amity yeah. for for long, as he? he's obviously a New York cop who's, for whatever reason, I think we'll come to that later. What, I wonder what happened to Martin Brody that caused him to a have a fear of the sea and b he left his partner Popeye Doyle. That's what it was. Oh, wasn't it? I was thinking of this earlier. <laughs> if only, yeah, if only that had been Cloudy Russo. Yeah. And, you know, after the things went, like, belly up in the French connection, he decided, oh, do you know what? Stuff this. I, I'm going I'm yeah, go to I'm gonna go to... I'm going to take the wife and kids to Amity, you know, have a nice life near the, near the beach. Cool fucking pickup truck as well. Oh, so good. It's, it's, but look, look, look at the... Right, Bill Butler's cinematography. Look at that. Look at that. White picket fence. Now, we, we're watching the, um, the, the, the Blu-ray copy. And, you know, it, it is just absolutely jaw-dropping. You know, I can only imagine what this looks like in 4K. Big shout out to Stephen Simpson if you're uh, listening to us, because I'm sure you're going to be watching your 4K copy, you uh, lucky so-and-so. <laughs> now, this tracking shot along the beach, they have to lay down, um, obviously, track there for the camera. But, you know, you don't even think about it. You just... Spielberg just never keeps the camera still, does he? He's always doing something within it. You know, the guy was 27 years old when he made Jaws. And it's been much discussed, haven't it? You know, the sort of like, um, you know, what well, he won a first time director, but sort of cut his teeth director. Yeah. How much he sort of had in mind for this film, and at certain stages just thought, never really accounted for the fact that 
they have to go along the sand all the footprints after yeah. covered up every shot yeah <laughs> so we got a deputy there who's just uh, located something yeah hold it now Neil Jaws is it a horror film I don't know, is it a horror film or is it a thriller? Is it, a, it falls into so many definitions. Yeah, I suppose it's got to be slightly a horror film, but it, and to, towards the sort of sequels, they sort of treat the sharks as the sort of big it, bad monsters. Yeah, they're more like. like a slasher film, aren't they? But this is, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that Jaws com- comfortably fits any sort of film ca- categorization. It's almost like a serial killer film with an animal rather than a, a person being mm. the killer. Then there's a lot of people have said Jaws isn't really about the shark. I don't really do agree with that, but it's it's more like man against nature. You, you could substitute the shark for any number of creatures. To a, to a certain degree, yeah. Um, to a certain degree, I'd sort of argue that predator's not really about the predator. It's more about the sort of the Dutch and the team. But yeah. you've got to have that big bad there, haven't you? Yeah, mankind against the unknown. And yeah. it, you know, in Predator, it's an alien, and in Jaws, it's you know what is beneath the deep blue sea. To give the name of another shark film inspired by this one. <laughs> yeah. I love this bit here. The probable cause, cause of, of death, death, shark attack. Now, that's a little bit of, like, it's telling you all you need to know about, you know, Brody's suspicions based on what he's seen of what's left of, you know, poor Chrissy. I just love the, the white picket fences everywhere. And you sort of get the impression that sort of like inquiry was getting made then about a, a truck being parked outside your store is about as far as like crime yeah. goes in this town really, isn't it? Which is why obviously, you know, after the French connection, you know, Cloudy, yeah, who changed his name to Martin sim- Brody. I just need a simple life. Well, I'd like to think that it was some sort of witness relocation thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be, yeah. yeah. Well, of course, because Alan Charnier escaped at the end of the French connection, didn't he? So, yeah, he yes. Did. Look what the kids did to my fence, they've been crying, <laughs> my fence. Which, you know, as, as we remember, vaguely, obviously yeah. being children of the uh, late 70s. That's yeah, so what I mean. It's, it karate was, just was, all, it was all the rage back you then. You wake up and your kids have been out for hours already, they come in bleeding and you laugh it, you laugh it off. And you've got other kids karate chopping their fence. Yeah. Little conspiracy theory I've got there. Come on. They've been karate chopping the fence, his son's just come back with a cut hand. Oh, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Never thought of that until now. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's uh, safe to see that Mikey Brody's been uh, waxing on yeah. and waxing off. Kids just go out do the mile swim. Had that now, wouldn't they? Yeah, of course they would. Yeah, right. Yeah, they'd be uh, swimming in an artificial uh, you know, beachfront on Grand Theft Auto 6. <laughs> it's or reality or something. Yeah. We're going to be like, like really old grumpy old men, but I think this does appeal oh, to her. Here we go. Murray Hamilton. Oh, what a guy. Now, he was the first person cast in the film because originally there was a subplot involving Mae Vaughan's ties to the Mafia. Yeah, but, but thankfully was, that was dropped. I was going to say, because if you notice all the way through, he's got he's, he's almost got a sort of band of heavies that are with him all the time as well. Yeah, yeah. Because like, Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb's one of, character. One of the characters, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, the so, does. Gottlieb's character was kind of heavily cut down from what he was in early drafts of the script. Because it was also then a subplot involving an affair, um, and this is all in Peter Benji's original yeah. novel, between Alan Brody and Hooper. Yeah. And... Yeah, look at them now. They look like they pull up the. It's the mayor's car, like. Yeah. But they're almost like like 
Yeah. Heavy squad, didn't they? I mean, they're all about 70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they all look like bruisers, don't they? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. they <laughs> now, this, this scene, right, just basically being a load of exposition between a group of guys. Now, imagine if they'd done this I know, outside the police station or whatever. You've got them on a barge moving across the estuary. The birds are still running by all accounts as well. Yeah, it's, it's just Spielberg yeah. making what would be otherwise an uninteresting scene just that much more interesting to look at. And again, you know, for the first time viewer, I mean, it's so hard now because obviously we've seen it so many times, but as a first time viewer, you're sort of getting the impression of how much of life is spent on the water in that town, isn't it? Yeah, now this guy here in the powder blue suit, that's Carl Gott. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, Carl Gottlieb, there's a lot of writing hands that were involved in Jaws. Obviously, Benchley himself with the original novel. Steven Spielberg even did um, one version of, a, of an early draft. But I think the person most you know, responsible for a lot of the, the stuff that we had in the final film was Carl Gottlieb. Yeah, Benchley had a couple of runs in it, didn't he? But he just couldn't, yeah. get, couldn't get it done, could he? Yeah, but again, like, I think if you've written the book, the way you, like you say with all the hmm. plots, you're probably trying to include too much. Yeah, and that's what Spielberg and Gottlieb decided to do, and that's one of the... They did, they did come back, didn't they, with Jaws 2? They used that sort of thing with the, the casino being built and stuff like that. Uh, there was three. No, it's two. No, there's no casino in. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> a casino being built? Yeah, there's a casino being built in Amity. You're right. Yeah. Oh, oh, Neil, you are that's, right. That's yeah, all, sorry, uh, of course. Yeah. That's sort of tied into because the same the, sort um, of plot. Oh, what's, yeah. It's like a leftover of. Um, oh, and here we go. Ah, young Alex Kittner. Poor Alex Kettner. Yeah. Oh my good God. Now, this is the first time I've seen Jaws since July 2019 when I was lucky enough to see it um, in the cinema. First time I'd ever seen it in the cinema with my then eight-year-old son. That's good parenting. And, and that was his first time seeing the film. So, you know, as much as you and I, Neil, first saw this film on television or VHS, my, my nine-year-old or then eight-year-old son first saw Jaws with his dad in the cinema. I've got to see. That's, that's top parenting. Yeah, hands down. One of my favourite cinema experiences. Now, in the in the piece I wrote about Jaws for Film 89, I picked this scene as basically an example of Spielberg's complete mastery of filmmaking. Now, there's no music. No. Because, you know, as we know... It's that eeriness, isn't yeah, it? You and just the lapping of the waves. Like, yeah. every time you notice a swell in the water, or you hear a splash. And it's only when the shark actually comes and is near and close is when John Williams' music comes in. Any time in the film, where, you know, when you see, like, later on the artificial shark fin... Now, look... The wipes. Someone walks in front of the camera. Yeah. You've got a you know a, a, a different close up. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah. How do you you know what? How do you make it interesting to cut from one shot to another? Well, you have these wipes where people are walking past the camera as you would on a crowded beach. And we get our first little teaser. No, nope, it wasn't. No, nope, it's the old guy. <laughs> yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Taft. Uh... Yep. Yeah, there you go. Harry Taft is coming over now to. Uh... Oh, it's not. No, sorry. Harry's the guy with the hat, isn't he? Yeah. That's yeah. The what does he say? That's some bad hat, Harry. And then bad hat, Harry was the name of um, Brian Singer's production company. That's right. He was a big he credits this as a yeah. his inspiration for becoming a filmmaker. Uh-huh. But we won't go too much about Brian Singer. No. We shan't. We shan't. <laughs> Do you ever think that? Though? The amount of people we reference now lately in episodes, and I think within a year or two, will they be? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> will we have to go back and edit? Unfortunately, them? we cannot like, be able to cut anything out of this because yeah. it's an audio commentary. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is... Is this the best scene in Jaws? 
It's the most suspenseful scene, and I can remember, like as a kid, even even when I knew what was coming. For some reason, every time I watched it, I thought I was going to see a different version. I thought perhaps like one of the other kids or the dog would get it instead. Yeah. Here you go. Here's Harry. Yeah. But again, that's sort of great exposition, isn't it? It's like you know, there's the fact that he doesn't go into water. You know, just again, it's just added to the character straight away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Chuck Heston wanted to play Brody uh, originally. He'd just come off Airport 1975 and was about to star in Earthquake, which was, um, I, I think that was a Universal film. I, yeah, I could see Chuck playing it, but I think it would, no. have, it would, have, taken, it it would yeah. have taken away from it. I fully agree. The sort of everyman type oh, character. Yeah, couldn't say that better. Everyman. That's, that, that is Roy Scheider. That is yeah. Martin Brody. And, and again, Brody, uh, Brody, I was wondering off to get some look. I mean, Craft and I'll sort of reference, you know, obviously John McClane, but Brody's in exactly the same position, really, where he's just the everyman who gets put into an extraordinary situation. Yeah. You know, f- f- for me, Brody is, and here we go, John Williams' music kicking in because the shark is here. And they never cheat this. They always stick to this rule of if you hear the music, if you hear the music, it's the shark. Yeah. If you don't hear the music, it's not the shark. Oh, and that, Christ. you know, it's just, you barely see the shark. Now, we'll go obviously go into, and look at that fountain of blood. It's, well, because he did about four or five takes of this, didn't he? The push pole, probably, you know, the, the most famous, famous camera move, you know, the one that constantly gets mimicked by young film school students, which is where, you know, you, you move the camera towards the subject and focus out, or you focus out whilst moving the camera, uh, have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you focus like, yeah. in while moving out. Yeah, that's right. Or focus out as you're moving the camera towards yeah. the subject at the same time. And it's sort of, when you've got a, an anamorphic lens, that, that you know, it, it's got that warping effect where, you know, the background sort of just... Just that sort of devastation yeah. of the mother now, isn't it? All right, I know. I know. And then, you know, you've got such a melee there, I mean, you'd be thinking he's got to be safe, he's got to be here somewhere, and he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the child who did it actually did the did the stunt, didn't he? he was, I think he was twelve years old yeah, at the yeah. time, and they tried it about four or five times and couldn't get it right. And in the end, Spielberg said, "Right, we've got a nice man here with a scuba suit who's going to pull you under the water yeah. now and push you back up a few times." And uh, Lee Fierro plays um, Mrs. Kintner. She's still alive. She was born February thirteenth, nineteen twenty nine. Didn't she? She ran some sort of actors' troupe or something. Yeah, still in, um, yeah, she did. She, uh, I think it was like some sort of actor school in um, yeah. Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, they really did cut Carl Gottlieb's character down for this, didn't they? You know, he... he well, you say you write yourself out, really, didn't you? <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, you know, that must have been one of the hardest things for him to do. But obviously his ego um, didn't get the better of him because he knew he was surplus to requirements to have an additional character in the film. And he likes to dress like Ron Burgundy as well, well it looks he, like. He does indeed. <laughs> he does. Look at that beautiful powder blue jacket, red pants. Yeah. It's a strong look. Is it, it's it a is strong a strong look. look. I like to you, I miss stuff like that. I know, I know. Okay. Now, Murray Hamilton, this is probably his most subdued. He's got a mustard uh, jacket, because later on he's got the one with, with the, the anchors. anchors. I think he had the anchors, the anchors on, on the scene on the barge, did, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, it's, you know, it's a solemn day. Charles just been killed. He's going to put the mustard on. Oh, God, on. yeah, yeah, the mustard, yeah. Now, you know, the guy then with the glasses, with the receding hairline, who was just talking to Mrs. Kinder, is that the guy that gets his leg bitten off in the estuary later on? Or by... No, I don't think mm, so. No. no, him there. No, no, I don't think no, so. No, maybe not. Yeah, maybe he's a bit older. It's Harry, <laughs> just looking completely um, clueless. Now, 
this is all obviously leading up is the chalkboard in the background and it's yeah. leading up to one of one of the greatest character introductions ever you know robert shaw as quint the shark hunter oh you're gonna close the beaches See, what I can't stand with this, they've got to go close to the beach. Why don't you just say you can't go in the water? Surely the beach could no. still be open. Look, look, how, look how timely this has now become, though, with like commerce um, battling against yeah. public safety. Yeah. Yeah? It, it's always that toss-up between what's good for the community and the, you know, the economy and... Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. I love the fact that he's done a little sketch. <laughs> done when no one was looking. Yeah, he has a little sketch for me to show you, uh, you know, the proportions of this shark. What a shark look like, boy. <laughs> you all know me. <sighs> Robert Shaw. It's a bad fish. <laughs> And his, his ship's mate is one of the best cast actors <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> he was again. He was a local. He was, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so difficult to talk over Robert Shaw. You feel like you're disrespecting him. What a guy! Now he was. He was an Englishman. He had huge success with the Sting and the taking of Pelham One, Two, Three, which at that time was still in the can and awaiting release. But he was cast. Uh, I think Pelham was nineteen seventy-four. Didn't Spielberg want Lee Marvin for him? Didn't he? Yeah, he which did. Which again, you know, it works because yes, if you'd had Lee Marvin, same as like you were saying with Chuck Heston, they, they were icons, they were iconic characters. Weren't they? If, yeah, Lee yeah, Marvin, yeah. if Lee Marvin had pulled up and given that speech, you'd have gone instantly. He's gonna catch that fish because yeah. it's Lee Marvin. Like Robert Mitchum probably could have yeah. been. You would have been yeah. like the same. You know, cut from the same cloth. So no, Shaw was secured the role in just three days before shooting was set to start. Now a lot of Quinn's personality was inspired by real life Martha's Vineyard fisherman called Craig Kinsbury. Now, Craig's got a, a small part in the film as the guy who comments to Hooper on the jetty about the, the horde of amateur shark hunters saying that they're all going to get themselves killed. Now, in 2000, Kingsby was interviewed by the Boston Globe about his part in Jaws, and he's quoted as saying, how the hell is a shark supposed to eat someone and spit his head back into the inside <laughs> of a boat? Now, yeah, I'm not even going to comment on that because... It's, yeah. Well, isn't that sort of theory that um, sharks don't like the taste of human flesh? They think you're a seal. Yeah, yeah. And that's, so there's always bandied about, didn't it? And I always think, do you know if it, like, my last seconds on Earth, I had a great white shark bearing down on me, mm. the last thing I'd be thinking is, well, you're not going to enjoy it, are you? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. It wouldn't give me any comfort no. at all, the fact they didn't enjoy me. Which, you know, what you just said, Danny, that ties in quite nicely you know, to what we're seeing with Roy Scheider doing his research on, on sharks and stuff. And, um, yeah, sharks... Shark attacks where people are actually attacked in the ocean by by sharks. There's between 12 and 20 each year. Yeah. You've got more chance of being attacked by a hippo, which attack and kill up to 400 people a year. Hippopotamuses. It's not scary, though, is it? Have you seen the size of their mouths? I was just saying, Have you seen their mouths? You never hear of a hippo attack, do you? I mean, when you think about it, I would imagine a lot of it was probably surfers being attacked, didn't they? 
Yeah, yeah, because like you say, they don't. They think you they think you're seals or something. Yeah, well, we are, we are not really on a, on a shark's ideal restaurant menu. We are, you know, often mistaken for other things like seals, and then they take a bite and they think, oh no, I don't like that. I still wouldn't. <laughs> it's to this day, I'm still scared. No, I, I, I'm still scared I, of the yeah, water because of this film. Like, it, this honest. film had it's had a lasting effect on me. Yeah. And again, it's almost like a sort of precursor there to what's mm. going to happen with a shark attacking yeah. a boat, you know? Another change of tactic for the man there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd have thought, with this being like a sort of a fishing town... That there would have been a few more people a bit more clued up about sharks than we're going to take out the wife's pot. No, but just maybe they've never had sharks yeah. come to Amity. Now, this scene, now, the, the, what, what we call the pier roast scene. Now, this was filmed day for night, um, which means obviously it was filmed in daylight and then in post made to look like uh, a nighttime shoot. Now, this always poses a problem for the cinematographer and camera operator because they've got to match the natural daylight across days of shooting. Like this scene wouldn't have all been shot at once, it would have been shot over a couple of days. Now, the two locals that play these, the parts of these characters here opted to do their own stunts. And it's been said that maybe as a form of like sadistic punishment for their, what was said to be their inability to get the scene right, that Steven Spielberg took way more takes than he needed to. Eventually, <laughs> the actors' voices were redubbed twice by two different sets of act- voice actors as they just couldn't get the scene right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's this shark book that he's flicking through. And it's that the one where they it's got the person on what you would think maybe is a, a mortuary like table. I've never noticed that before with the um, the air tank. And the, the air tank, mark. yeah, a I've little sort of um, yeah. Can't we tell us I've seen that film? I've never noticed that. But that's a great thing about this film is that you always just pick up these little things like just some of the damage that the shards can do. Like if, now this is a PG film, no, like yeah. that. That, no. You couldn't put that picture on Facebook now without no. it being covered up with exactly. some sort of warning. The no, person no, no. with like the back of their leg just yeah. completely bitten off is horrific. There were better times, weren't they? Better times. <laughs> better better times. times, yeah. Now, here you go. So we know it's the shark because it's, the music is playing. I don't know what these dudes know. I never noticed they were dubbed before. <laughs> I think, yeah, they were dubbed at least two times because uh, they just couldn't get the vocal performances right. <laughs> It's just that, and again, you know, okay, it's like, you know, it's little, little known fact they couldn't get the shark to work, so they had to improvise. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah, well, come, yeah, um, right, but, the shark, the but shark. But again, it's added to the intrigue again because we've got the jetty now, sort of almost acting as a fin, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it, this is no. It literally turns around. You can watch it turn yeah, like yeah. it's doing like a one eighty. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now, it is no secret, obviously, that the three sharks they made for the film. Now, you know, the very idea of making a mechanical shark that would have to sit on the bed of the sea, which would have to be perfectly flat, yeah. uh, it'd have to be a certain depth, and that mechanical shark would have to work in salt water and would have to realistically mimic the movement of a shark. What the hell were they thinking? Now, this film was rushed into production to yeah. avoid a writer's strike. Now, looking at the logistics of this film and all the problems on paper they would have posed, you've got to argue that it was a bit of a silly idea to go ahead and film this because, you know, obviously the Jaws production completely ran over budget, it ran over schedule. It doubled this budget, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Doubled this budget. Yeah. Ah, here we go. <laughs> 
Yeah, everyone now is. But like you say, I mean, just how would you think that you could make this work in the first place? Mm -hmm. You know, a huge robotic shark with hydraulic gears. Well, you know, the crew, they they anticipated the technical delays with the three mechanical sharks. So the production schedule placed all the beach scenes early on. But what they did not realise was that it wasn't until late June, early July that the local waters became warm enough for swimmers. And all the local extras... They knew this, and they wouldn't get in the cold waters for long periods, so they had to swap the shooting schedule around, meaning that they had to get the sharks and the orca ready two weeks sooner than previously planned. So Joe Alves, the production designer, he he built a full-scale fiberglass replica of the orca, the orca 2, which was repeatedly sunk on cue 24 times. And the guy who painted the original orca, the actual boat that they used, he one day got on board the orca 2, the fiberglass sort of... Um, mock-up of it by mistake and tried to start it up because it looked that realistic yeah all right neil the name orca the only natural enemy of the great white shark the killer whale, yeah. and i've, I've yeah. never i've never realized that until prepping for this episode and, I, and yeah because we've talked all the way through the introduction of matt hooper as well no yeah dreyfus richard dreyfus yeah who i think was sort of spielberg sort of Memes. Avatar. Yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, some, some actors, they work well with certain directors. And mm-hmm. Now, Sterling Hayden, he was originally sought to play Quint, but he'd fallen on hard times following what are described as a succession of hostile attorneys mm-hmm. and alimony payments. And at the time, he was, he was living... Look <laughs> <laughs> at this. Sterling Hayden, at the time, he was looking to... Uh, play Quint, he was living on a barge in Paris and due to tax issues the US government wouldn't allow him to earn money from any work in the States as he had piled some considerable tax debt. <laughs> so in the end he, he just he couldn't afford yeah. to do it because he would have got stung for tax. But Dreyfus didn't want to roll a hooper did he? He was the one who was actually offered the role and turned it down to be with. Yeah yeah just so this could be absolute murder to film like you're going to film this on the ocean you must be crazy yeah yeah oh well it was production designer Joe Alves he scouted the entire New England coast for the ideal spot to film now it, it had to be it had to fulfil a number of criteria so this isn't the original Quint now is it no this guy, this yeah, that's, that's him that's yeah. Craig uh, oh, whatever his name is yeah he's yeah. he's a he's the sort of inspiration yeah inspiration for Quint so Joe, Joe Alves he had to look for a location that had to be a picturesque summer resort um, and to film the shark at sea it had to have a, a level sandy bottom bed of 25 to 35 feet in depth had to have the right aspect so they could film 180 degrees of unbroken horizon the tide needed to be just right no more than two to three feet during normal seasons all this and it had to be within a 45 minute drive from a hotel complex able to house and feed a crew of more than 100 people not counting the stars and director and producers joe alves had been advised to ignore martha's vineyard but one day whilst he was on the way to have dinner with peter benchley's parents the ferry to nantucket got turned back due to bad weather so joe alves decided to check out martha's vineyard against what he was originally told to do and it just found it to be perfect with a 26 foot sandy bottom the sheltered Cows Bay, which was 15 minutes from Edgartown, which had enough hotels to accommodate everyone. That's the thing you don't think, yeah, because like you say, just the, just the crew alone. Like. Yeah. Now, the, would you call this an autopsy scene? There's not enough left of young Chrissy to be, to, you know, to... I don't think it's more of an autopsy. If he's trying to just record it for yeah. his sort of date. I don't think it's an autopsy, because he's, he's a marine biologist. Yeah. So he's not, you know, he's not a, 
I think it's more than him just doing this as a sort of recording shark attacks, isn't no, it? No, I, I love the, the, the hard intake of breath from him because he's trying, obviously, to hide how shocked he is. Uh, I love that. Yeah. They're not smoking here. Oh, God. They barely even need to show that severed arm because from what he's describing... You've got the picture of yeah, what's left there because yeah. it's like... You show, don't at, tell, but, you know, Spielberg does... You know, he shows just enough. I think it's... We certainly forget about Spielberg at this stage. I mean, obviously, he was a young Turk at this stage, but yeah. um, early Spielberg is really sort of the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? You know, yeah. early Spielberg, I, yeah. you know, virtually everything he does is I want kids to watch this and I want kids to be scared. Hmm. Yeah, Duel, yeah. which is, you know. Now, this is one of my favourite anecdotes about Jaws. The, the, um, Tiger shark. The, yeah. yeah, the dead shark. Now, the production had been assured that all the local fishermen could get them a shark as big as they needed. But as the shooting day got closer and they had nothing, blaming bad weather, it was stuntman Teddy Grossman and Fred Zender, the marine technical advisor on the film. They went down to Florida and they managed to snag a 13-foot tiger shark, which is the one that, you know, you're looking at now. So then again, this is from Florida to Martha's Vineyard. You know, that's the distance they had to get this shark back. And apparently that was a logistical nightmare. And in the end, it had to be flown on a private jet, which Universal had to pay for. <laughs> and when they finally hung it on the dock to film it, it quickly obviously started to rot. Yeah. Because it'd been packed in ice and salt for a few days, but then as soon as they get the shark out and they're filming over a you know couple of days, it starts to rot. And apparently, given the position it was hanging in, the guts had started to drop into the gullet, oh. and the stench was so bad that. Oh look at it! It's just secret. And look at Quinn just thinking just, this is all hilarious. Just literally yeah. just pissing himself on the boat there, like yeah, go yeah. on, crack on. Now, for years I thought, yeah, that's not going to be a real shark. They wouldn't use a real shark, but yeah, they did. Why, why would you need to, would it? Well, I just think that... Actually, it was probably, probably originally, it was probably seemed to be cheaper to use a real shark. Yeah, than to build one, yeah. Good as eyes, though. I know. Like doll's eyes. Doll's eyes. <laughs> and What? Now here he is, uh, Mayor Vaughan in his yep. pinstripe suit. Yep, he's and looking good. Pink shirt and a dark tie. He's, oh yeah. Stick your friggin' in there and find out some man. I, I love the, the like the class struggle between you know the the working class fisherman and you know like Quint and yeah. Hooper, the the rich. Louis uh, he's dressed and looks like him. They instantly sort of sniff out. They the see through him, don't they? Yeah. yeah. It's probably the glasses and yeah. the way he talks is a giveaway, isn't it? It's just the way he talks. He's got that thing of educated and... Yeah. 100 to 1, though, it's going to be the right shark. Yeah. How good is Murray Hamilton in this film, though? Come on, look look, look at the way he's studying what he's saying there, what, what Hooper's saying. And, and, and already some... thinking about the politics behind it and how he's going to get around the fact that... You know, he's got to trust this guy's expertise, but he's also got to think of the you know the welfare of Amity and, and you know the money he's they're going to lose. He walks this fine line, though. Even if you look at his face expressions and the mannerisms he does, he walks this fine line of being sometimes be like a shady sort of bad guy with a with a dark side, and other times just being like a used car salesman. You can tell he's yeah. just trying to spin everything. Yeah. 
that, you know, he's got a nasty streak, but everything he says is like with a false grin or with a little chuckle as he says it. Yeah, yeah. like the way he describes that as well yeah. he's right yeah. yeah oh this scene with Mrs Kintner it's, it's horrific you know her little boy has just been eaten by a shark in you know full view of most of Amity and it's that sort of thing in a public and police office you know you're the sort of the mayor Murray's can, cancelled out everything he's trying to do yeah and look, when the shit hits the fan, who's, who's to blame? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the police chief yeah, is going to be, isn't he's it? He's the face of the town. Of course he is. You know, the, the police chief is going to carry the can for all the decisions that's been made, even though pressure was put on him from... Yeah. And they're not wrong to have kept the beaches open because, realistically, one shark attack is not then going to be followed by a succession of them. Yeah, it's not... It, it's not, is it? it? Well, I was going to say, that's, that's where we've got the sort of... Most people, by saying when I say we, like most people have got the impression now that if a shark attack happens, say in Australia, the beach should be closed because that shark's going to come back. And yeah, they're not, like, though, are they? It's, it's not, it's just a random sort of killing type thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, sharks are, you know, possibly territorial creatures, but the fact is, they don't, as a rule, look to eat people. If I was going to say, there's, uh, there's, I can't remember what site there's on, there's drone footage of um, California and San Francisco, mm-hmm. and this guy's just been like flying drones over the ocean. Yeah, and you see the amount of time swimmers and surfers are literally feet away, mm. feet away from yeah. like twenty, thirty foot. Yeah, great white sharks. Like, right, think, yeah. well, they can't be. You know, they can't be killing that many people because no. you wouldn't do it. That's right. You can see now. Look from that shot there. The shark is looking a bit stinky, isn't it? Yeah, it's got it's got a bit rank. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah. And it's when Hooper's starting to realise now that uh, he needs to stick around and help him out. Mm-hmm. Again, uh. Oh, God, the father-son scene. This was um, all, yeah. all Roy yeah. Scheider's idea. Yeah. He'd been sat there in between shots and um, the little boy who plays his son had been mimicking him and he just said to Spielberg, he said, hey, Stephen, come and look at this. Yeah. Now, this, this is prime Spielberg, isn't it? It's that yeah. thing of the family of... It's probably one of the only films where the, the family say, dynamic was actually kept together and they weren't divorced. I was going to say it keeps it breaks the sort of golden rule of speed, yeah, actually, yeah. doesn't it? Because you've got the dad present. That's right. You know, even in Close Encounters, the dad ends up leaving yeah, the family, just, which yeah, I see. That is one thing that bothers me about Close Encounters and Spielberg. Because obviously, he said himself that with hindsight, you know, having then since become a family man, a father of several children, he would never have written um, well, Dreyfus's character to do that. He had some like sort of serious daddy issues, didn't he? He did, you know, he did. Like, like, in later life, he found out that his dad was actually, because his mum and dad split up because he thought his dad had an affair. And then towards his father dying, just before his father died, he found out it was actually the other way around. And his mother mm-hmm. had an affair and the dad had carried the can because he didn't want Stephen to, <sighs> and, other, and brothers and sisters to think bad of the mother. I had no idea. Yeah. Good it's Lord. Really, I can't remember what... Um, Wow, it's on one of the behind the scenes on yeah. um, the, the, one of the Blu-rays. I can't remember which one it is, but it's, it literally choke you, choke you up when you watch it. Oh my it. word! Like this scene chokes me up. Yeah, and I, I've done this with my sons, and I've done it. You know, and I think speak, both of us speaking as dads as well. It's that thing of no matter how hard your day is, sometimes your kids just make everything all right. They do. They do. Other times you want to kill them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Feed them to the sharks. Yeah, but. actually, no, I thought of, um, of feeding my two sons two sharks this very day. Now, I love the fact 
that he comes with a shirt and tie and a jacket with a bottle of white and a bottle of red, which just goes to show that he is... He's got he's, that he's, he's social grace, he's got that social graces, haven't he? Like, yeah. yeah. I, I, but then, for all, all the sort of social graces, he walks into his house and starts eating his dinner now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to eat that? Do you know what? I think it's something I actually said in the in the Jaws piece I did for the site about no one plays a drunk as good and as subtly as Roy Scheider. Yeah, it's not, not exaggerated at all. It's it's not, none of it's it. It's almost that sort of exhausted. Just oh, I've had too much. <laughs> Can we go back to when we you know, when we did our favourite actors uh, many episodes yeah. ago? And yeah, Roy Scheider is just. It may seem a, a, an odd off kilter choice, but he is genuinely, genuinely one of my absolute favourite actors. And again, you know, with like we said, with a few of the sort of actors we mentioned before, like he had some big hits, but then just, no, you know, never, just never yeah. really attained the no, sort of status he should have had. He, like, yeah, he should have had an Oscar for all that jazz. No, yeah. he, he was nominated, but he, he should have had Best Actor. And when you see this sort of instant chemistry here between Alan and Hooper, you think, well, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps they were thinking of keeping that in to begin yeah. with. So I'm so glad they took out that um, Alan Brody uh, Hooper affair subplot. Yes. It did not need it. Like I say, that's the best thing the Spielberg and Gottlieb did. But I think that was. I think the book is more alluding to the fact that Hooper does the dirty on him and ends up dying. Right. So yeah. it's almost like a sort of payback. Yes, yeah, because obviously Hooper dies in the book yeah. as like a, a penance for the affair. Yeah. Have you read Benchley's book? Many years ago, when I was about 14, I read it on a, on a mm. holiday once. Uh, yeah, now... I, I it's don't, actually quite clunky. I, I, and that's exactly why I don't want to read it, because Jaws, and, you know, it's no secret, Jaws is one of my favourite films of all time. Um I, I don't want an alternate version of it. I don't want, you know, this perfect thing, which I love so much, to be muddied by a book that, by all accounts, is just inferior to the, the screenplay and no, the final I film. got it from a Spanish supermarket when I was over 13 or 14 to read at the poolside and then read about sharks and went to the beach the next day. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> See, Martin hates boats. Martin hates water. Now... Sits in the car when he goes to the ferry. <laughs> and why why does Martin Brody hate water? And the fact is, we never need to know. No. The fact if they'd given us some backstory about when he was eleven years old, he fell into you know the estuary and got you know nearly beat, bitten by a shark. Like any like little bit of clunky character exposition, you, you, don't, you don't need it. it. You said, don't well, need what, it. What is the schedule for the water? He's just drowning. So <laughs> 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 you need. Yeah, yeah. Now. In this scene now, you've got you know that little bit just now where you've got um, that almost flirtatious dialogue between like Brody and not not flirtatious, but you know, I'm I'm watching Scheider all the time. I'm watching the way he opens that wine bottle. I'm watching him yeah. now as he just peels the the neck of the the label off, and the fact that you can tell he's tanked up at this point. Yeah, but and it's by that the way that he just talks ever so slightly slowly. Yeah, but it's in, it's almost imperceptible. And I love the way that he drinks out of drinks wine out of a out of a, out of a, out of a tall highball glass. I think that's the best way. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Punk glass. I and, he, and, he, and he basically fills it up, doesn't he? Yeah. Which just says a lot about him. He's drinking for for for, for purpose at this yeah. point, isn't he? He's drinking to, you know. That's the thing. Is why we have one more drink and then go and cut that shark open, so he's going to make sure this is a large one. Oh yeah. 
You know, get spilling onto the. Uh... Mm-hmm. Now the fact that it's milky white as well, it's just that. Yeah. It is like that fish is whole there. That one. He pulls out. Yeah, yeah. Is it California license yeah. plate? Yeah. Louisiana. Louisiana. Double O seven. He didn't need a car, did he? <laughs> See, so it's, not, it's not true. They don't a shark so, won't eat anything. So little little Spielberg moment here. Obviously this is like his big break, but he always wanted to do a, a Bond film and then the number plate's got 007 on it. Which I never noticed. Yeah, I know. Holy shit, like it has as well. Wow. And it actually, yeah, it actually, the camera actually pauses a little bit on it yeah. as well. Of course, we're glad he didn't do a 007 film because we got Indiana Jones instead, so. Uh huh, obviously, yeah. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> Let's not on the water. <laughs> now, this little scene was originally shot. Um, we shot a daytime, and Carl Gottlieb's character was actually—he um, was actually in the original scene. Yeah. But it had to—he <laughs> actually fell into the water during the what, scene. For real? Yeah, for real, fell into the water. Yeah. So That's where he started writing him slice stuff yeah, out yeah. like yeah. it was Brody. <laughs> Still got his bottle out, got his bottle of white on the boat, he's fine. Yeah. So when they they, they later filmed this scene, Spielberg felt that as great as the film was, it was just lacking one extra scare. Yeah. So this was all done after principal photography had finished, and I'm pretty sure they actually filmed it in Werner Fields' uh, swimming pool. Werner Fields being the editor of Jaws, the one of the unsung heroes of the film. And yet it was um, the actual bit underwater yeah, when we yeah. see Ben Gardner's head pop out of the boat. Because that had already been shot, but it just, the way it was shot, Spielberg wasn't happy with this. It was completely redone in uh, Werner Fields' swimming pool. Have you, have you seen what Dreyfus's son's been saying recently about his theory on this that Ben Gardner's been killed by uh, Quint? I don't even do that to me. Don't be hitting me with extreme I do, always, you know, Jaws conspiracy theories in the middle of because what he said is he, he realised he was the only one he was the only one else on the island that could catch the shark and that's why he killed him. No, I don't believe that. For don't a believe that at all. Yeah, yeah. Be, be quiet, Richard Dreyfus's son. <laughs> well, I think he's famous for other things we can't mention on this podcast. <laughs> Please, nothing can be added out of this, Neil. You can't edit anything out of an audio commentary. Right. This little bit of music here. Harry Potter. Yeah. There's, there's a, now, as much as I've listened to the Jaws score countless times, since I've listened to it a few times in prep for this episode... I've picked up little similarities between like, the scores that you would do. Now, there's loads of little bits in this film that relate to cues from The Empire Strikes Back. Now, there's little bits throughout the film which really strongly... Um, th th there's one bit that is very much like uh, the, the 
the, the build up to the Battle of Hoth and there's a little bit later on that is very much like um, Yoda's music which hopefully if uh, if I remember to I'll point out as you come to them but that little bit but there very very yeah. Harry Potter and this is the thing I can never understand you, you, you get people like this who swim with sharks don't they you know? yeah yeah but a friend of mine who like Jaws is one of his favourite films he said to me for years that he his dream was to go and swim with sharks and eventually um, he <clears throat> told his, his wife that he was going to do it he booked uh, a flight to South Africa and did it he had to do it it's a bigger man it was one of those things where yeah before he you know he, he was too old too and before he had a family he had to swim with sharks and um I think I could just about do the cage thing if you go in the, down in the cage I could no, just about do that well knowing what I know about sharks now I know the fact that yeah as much as they are huge strong creatures I, I, I'd have to do it if the opportunity ever arose because I know that you know the, the risk isn't anywhere near as great as yeah, what but, Jaws is yeah but it only takes one second don't I? I gotta be honest and oh. you gotta think about like oh you can punch it on the nose you try to throw a punch in the water you're gonna be in a cage come on you know, I do the cage thing but when you actually see people swimming next to them and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah 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 I know yeah divers swimming next to them you know grab just, their yeah. fins and go for rides like the dolphins and that. I mean, I'd be nervous on a whale with just a wetsuit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy yeah, a wetsuit that makes you look more like a seal. <laughs> now, when we actually see the reaction shot from the diver, that's not actually Richard Dreyfus. Right, okay. So he catches the shark's tough. He's got a tough, yeah. Imagine two rows of those things in a giant mouth like that and... It's just one of the greatest scare moments in in film. And do, do we need do we need sharks in this world? Do they do anything? <laughs> Look at that! Right, the the eye, the missing eye. That's yeah. what did it for me as a kid. That just scared the bejesus out of me. One of the great things about watching it last year in the cinema was watching my son's reaction. <laughs> to that. It was just. But again, it's always a cinema like sort of mischievous side of Spielberg. And if he just shown a dead body, it would have been enough. But it was no, like, he no, has, he's, no. He has his eyes torn yeah, out. His, as well. eye, his eyes been like you would imagine eaten out by fish or whatever. Yeah. A shark's not going to do that. No. And you, we've got yeah. again one of you know in a, in a the, film that's full of amazing scenes is. And we've got the anchor jacket as well uh, now, so it's. Only Maria Hamilton could pull off that jacket. Look at it. Where can I get one of those Amity police jackets? Look at, look at it. You can have a police jacket. I'll have, I'll have the mayor's jacket. You can pull that yeah, off. You can pull that back. off. Yeah. That's cornflower blue tie. Quite often when I'm out there, street people shout about anchors to me. <laughs> <laughs> at least I think they're seeing that. <laughs> and, uh, what's Hooper got? Is, he, is that a crushed velour jacket? Yeah, I think that's velour, yeah. That, well, that's, that's, that's moleskin. Ooh, that's a moleskin jacket. Moleskin jacket, jacket yeah. yeah. Where's that tooth? Now, where's that tooth? Yeah, because he dropped it. That's what I'm saying. He's like, he's, he's got a sort of cold edge to him, but then... But there's a practicality to him. He's right, isn't he? Yeah. He, he's got to think of the commerce. And we don't know how Ben Gardner died. Pretty sure Quinn didn't get him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I got someone to kill a shark. It's like, like some shark bounty hunter. No one does shouting like Roy Scheider yeah. when he's, you know, 
I love the fact that they're having this huge conversation in front of the entire town yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. They could have just done it in an office. Surely. And look at again the genius of having yeah. this big sign become part of the scene. Yeah. Aside from being really funny, it also then gives Hooper the opportunity to say, "Well, yeah, you know, the proportions of that are more yeah. or less accurate." Speaking of how the film looks, Bill Butler, the director of photography, um, but the camera operator was Michael Chapman, who would later go on to be the director of photography on Taxi Driver, Philip Kaufman's 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and a little film called Raging Bull that we are quite fond of. Also, he did The Lost Boys. He did one of Richie's favourite films, Scrooged, um, and another one of Richie's favourites, Ghostbusters 2. Please tell me. And and, this will be the ice on the cake for you, Neil. He also... Uh, lensed Kindergarten Cop. I'm in. I'm sold. <laughs> Just to go to something that came up uh, two episodes ago in episode 50. Yeah, Michael Chapman was the camera operator. Wow. Yeah. And to think, he was the camera operator on this film. Five years later, he would go on to be the cinematographer on Raging Bull. Unbelievable. Mind you, I think anyone who worked on this film should have just been car-blanched to do whatever they wanted after. They should have a statue it's in their honour. It's so perfect. Yeah. I agree. There we are. Yeah. We'll turn up no statues. Just put those put up statues related to jewels. There we are. Yeah. No, no one can argue with that. Exactly. That's right. Like Spielberg's music here is just, it's uplifting. It's, it's jolly, isn't it? You just see all the, the towners coming in now. Yeah. So we had to give late to living now by Barry Island, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you, you live near the coast. I spent a lot of my time as a child uh, on boats and at beaches and, yeah. Well, I think that's, that's part of why Jaws resonates so much yeah. for me is because... It, it reminded me so much of my upbringing, those summer holidays where you would just spend days on end, you know, with your family, on or around beaches, out in the sea. You know, your dads and your uncles would be water skiing. It was just... It doesn't happen anymore, does it? Well, that's what I said to you. Uh, I said a thing on Twitter the other week where I was watching everyone paddleboarding. And I, I really want to have a go with it. Yeah. And, like, instantly, as soon as I start watching, the, <laughs> just Jules just comes into my head and turns me off. Yeah. It's just a beautiful little montage, isn't it? And again, you get all walks of life coming off there, don't you? Like, yeah. Aston Martins are always coming off, and then you've got obviously. Hmm. Just everyone's coming for the 4th of July weekend, like. It's like the job Werner Fields had to do added in this film. Because obviously they shot so much footage. Again, another precursor someone shooting at a shark there in the arcade yeah, machine. Yeah. Well, talking of it, you know, the, the, the editing, right? All in all. Principal photography on Jaws lasted five and a half months with further pickups being done later in LA, which included, as we said, the reshoot of the Ben Garner boat scene and Hooper's final confrontation underwater with the shark. That was all done um, after principal photography ended. They used a total of 400,000 feet of film with only 11,000 feet making up the final edit. So the rest was scrapped as either no, no good, the outtake report, or trim. The report, this is Peter That's Benchley. Yeah. That is Benchley, yeah. Look at those collars. Look at those collars. We just need that type of fashion back, don't we? <coughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we need, we need 70s fashion to come back full swing. Very looking resplendent as ever now, isn't it? Yeah. Surrey shirt there. 
So yeah, you were saying about the budget. The original pre-production script budget was eight point five million, which allowed for fifty-five days of principal photography. The final budget actually came in at eleven million, thereabouts. You know, accurate figures on the budget are pretty hard to come by. And the original fifty-five day shoot became hundred and fifty days of principal photography. So it went three times over shooting schedule. I love this now when he's just going around to appealing to all the locals just to go into water. Yeah. Now, again, going back to the fact that that damn shark or those sharks didn't work meant that more attention had to be paid to these scenes with, you know, set on the beach. Cause, yeah, because they're basically just, they, they were trying to use these as, day, you know, as sort of pick-up days. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they yeah. anticipate having some problems with a shark. But and again, do you, well, like I said before about the fact that because they got, you know, they didn't know enough about where they were shooting, the fact that all the... Martha's Vineyard uh, residents wouldn't didn't want to go into the sea because this was before the warm water yeah. started to to come, which would come you know at the beginning of July. Would you be happy taking your grandkids home? Because they're obviously their grandkids, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Neil, well, gonna... my 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 in-laws are going to be having my two sons over the weekend. God knows what they're going to get up to. Yeah, but obviously, would you go into those waters now and take your grandkids in there? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, what's that like a? two three second helicopter shot yeah, yeah. it just oh, it's just the sense of scope in this film it's like you know and that sort of tough decision here with a kid in it it's like thank god that Joel's found this location yeah it's beautiful thank god it? it is just perfect absolutely perfect It's like everything's there. You've yeah, got, like a, you've see, got, you've you got a little um, inlet uh, later on where the guy gets his leg bitten off. You've got. It's, you couldn't have designed the set as perfect as this, really. You could no, you, no. For location wise. Perfect location. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. So there's uh, Michael and his friends taking the boat into. What do they, they call it? The pond? The lake, I think it is. The the lake, yeah. yeah, and it's like a little just inlet that's away yeah. from the sea. Although not cut off on the sea, obviously. Yeah. Old man, look at a lot like a flamingo there. You know, this is just scenes of people playing in water, and it goes on for what three, four minutes. But you just because you, you know see, what's coming. It's just that suspense, isn't it? If you know yeah. what's coming. But even Hendrix, he's just there's, there's yeah. not a bad bit of casting in here. There's not a bad performance. You've got, I think, the single greatest trio of actors put together in one film. Yeah, definitely. Because they just contrast and complement each other so well. I mean, look at the underwater photography. Is we have in fact caught and killed a large predator. <laughs> perfect. There is so many memes. Of this. It's perfect spin, isn't it? It's just it's political spin, and you know. Amity, as you know, means friendship. He's <laughs> it. encouraging it. elderly people to yeah, take yeah. the grandkids into yeah. the water. Yeah, go on. See, they don't cheat they don't because cheat. we see yeah. a shark's fin, but there's no John Williams yeah. music. And look at this. God. Now, <laughs> back when me and my then eight-year-old son watched this last year, this is the scene. This, this was his favourite scene because he was laughing so much. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you've got old people being trampled over and yeah, he said, yeah, dad, that, that was my favourite scene was the bit where everyone runs out of the water. 
I can see him doing it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every every man and woman for themselves. Not being the one with the fit on his back. No. Oh, don't. oh god, yeah. Oh yeah, he's a, yeah he's the biggest winded merchant. I'd be proud of him if he did that. <laughs> there is a certain. Yeah. I would be proud of him. It's amazing when the adults just like knock kids out of the way. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the biggest problems they had during filming of this is, and this is for something later on in the film, but when they're out at sea, obviously they had to have a completely empty horizon yeah. of just the sky and water, nothing else. Now, there's a great little piece from Carl Gottlieb's book, The Jaws Log. He said, every time they see a sail and the camera operator lifts his head from the eyepiece and says, it's in, the cast and crew learn to sit down and wait until the ship or whatever it was on the horizon could could pass and get out a shot yeah to get the shot and he said the rage and anxiety of the actors fighting the shark in the last act is honestly arrived at because it's not only a visualisation of the characters emotions in the script but it's the very real expression of their discontent with the filming process <laughs> because they basically spent a majority of the shoot just sitting around waiting for the horizon to clear that's a bit <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit much pointing shoot, a rifle at a kid shoot the kids <laughs> Two kids with a cardboard fin. Genius. Oh, and then you just... But then you have to have that for this scene. Yeah. Now, and this girl is just... Just the way she says shark. Yeah, now no what? what? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, the boy who cried wolf thing, yeah. isn't it? One false alarm and then, you know, you're not going to treat the next one as seriously, but no, this is, this is it. Because we can hear John Williams' music. Now, one of the many documentaries I've seen over the years, I think it was in 1988, it was actually a great white shark came and got stranded in that in that lake. Wow. For real. Good Lord. Yeah. No, it's not the guy that was talking to um, Mrs. Kintner in the thing. It's a completely different guy, so you'll have to excuse me. Have you seen the deleted scene where they actually show him being... Um, dragged along. Oh, I didn't realise he got. I didn't realise um, there was missing. To be honest, I always thought you saw him get eaten. No, is there's a scene which shows. Ah, um, right. Yeah, which shows him getting dragged towards. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, it, it 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 was it it was cut for a reason. I mean, and this is where you get the first sort of glimpse. Got, really now that the shark, leg. Yeah. That that leg just looks so real. And look at the blood. The big bubbling thing of blood. Like you say, it's that horror. No, that right, there. that there. If I that shot there of um, Michael just to the left, where something's coming towards, I'm pretty sure is when the shark is dragging the guy towards him. Right, that makes sense. Before they, before he took him under, then obviously when they've rearranged the shots after they decided to cut that. Obviously, Michael has uh, gone into shock, yeah. as you would if, if you, you saw would, yeah. a guy. You're pretty much bitten in half, right in front of you. See now, this is where now the, you got Jaws is a film. It, it, it sort of ditches the traditional three act structure, doesn't it? Yeah. You, there's two clear acts in Jaws. I think the dividing line is when you see the orca taken off from the harbour and you see that shot through those the, through the, the shark's jaws. Yeah. 
and the first half of the film is man versus man isn't it it's the yeah. politics it's it's Martin trying to convince the townsfolk that you know Martin and Hooper that there's a, a real threat but then it's at this point where things become personal because Brody's son now is, has been hurt and hospitalised that's what makes it so easier for him to and yeah. you know, even like Mayor Vaughan is in shock, isn't he? The fact well, I think that it's again with, with Brody as well. I mean, he's got like you say, he's got that family sort of personal thing, but it's also that thing as well. No matter what he does, that town's going to keep going on. Yeah, that town's always going to be. He's yeah. always going to be fighting against the fact that mm. that town basically survives on bank holiday weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they don't make the money now. Mm. And and it's this time. You know, it's when I watched it last year with my son that I felt more than I had before the fact that you know Murray Hamilton's character is not a bad guy. He's just doing his job, isn't he? You, you, he makes stupid decisions, and I think you know, it's the, he, class, the classic sort of politician, isn't he? He is. He you is. Know, what they say for the greater good, or you know, yeah. whatever. I think he's. I think. I think he's got a conscience, but I think he's a lot more adapted and not listening to it. Oh yeah, of course he is, because he's a businessman at the end of the day, isn't he? Because you see him here now when he looks at Brody now, and it's like he knows now. Yeah. But I wonder how much of this is a carryover from. Benchley's book, where he's under, if, he, if he had mafia ties, well, I, think, I think it's more the ma- he, the mafia have paid him off to get a hotel built there, right? So he has to, if I remember rightly, so it's sort of like he, he's almost you know his family are under threat of harm from this yeah. mafia sort of boss, so he's having to keep the town going, like you know, yeah, sure. He was acting in the town's best interests, you know. Sounds like he's, he's preparing a speech. Here, that's what I mean, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely two clear acts of this film, isn't it? Yeah. Is that the man versus man bit, and then there's the bit when they go out to sea, and it's man versus beast. Yeah. Now, Robert Shaw would star in another adaptation of a Peter Benchley novel, The Deep, in 1977, before his death in 1978, aged just 51. Hmm. Is that the Jacqueline Bissett film, The Deep, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Again, no real memory of it. I've never seen it. I don't, I, again, if I have, it's when I was very so young. So you do a, like a congreal electric, is like it? I remember, no, I can't what, remember. Really? Now, uh, Quint, Quint's Shack. Wow. You see how many sharks he's caught over you know, the period, like, you know? Yeah. How are you looking at the amount of teeth and jaws he's got there? It's almost amazing there have been more shark attacks on yeah, his yeah, island, Julian. Yeah. Or is it a case of he's been keeping the sharks away from the people all these years? Yeah. Now, right, Quinn's shack, right. This actual thing where they're shooting now was built entirely from scratch. It was actually built on the the, the, the harbour, yeah. where they had loads of shops and, and houses and other buildings. Now, the locals were sticklers for construction rules, which limited the height of any structure to 24 feet, and Quint's shack was 38 feet tall. And they also built an anchorage and a dock for the orca. Now, Universal Studios, or sorry, Universal, um, had to pay a $100,000 bond with an assurance that they'd pull down Quint's shack as soon as filming was complete. The thing is, the locals actually eventually wanted to keep it as they actually kind of fell in love with it and they wanted it as a... It's a good tourist yeah. attraction as well, isn't it? But yeah. because the production crew had, had such a hard time off the locals initially, they said, do you know what? We're keeping <laughs> to the agreement and they pulled it down. <laughs> Brilliant. And like, apparently a lot more was filmed um, in this shack, but we only see just just a few rooms. Yeah. 
Uh, it, you know, on, honestly, to do this scene justice, we'd have to pause here, and just there's so much you can talk about. Yeah. The, the, right, he gives him the rope, asks him to tie the sheep shank. Now this is where the, the class struggle begins between yeah. Quint and Hooper. He's sizing him up, isn't he? Yeah. Now he doesn't. He doesn't do it to Brody. I think he's got a level of respect for Brody because he knows him. He's probably known him for a while. And I think again with Brody, I think he knows the reason he's getting, <coughs> the reason he's getting his money is because of Brody, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Like the whole thing of him feeling his hands and. Well, again, I sort of suppose... Well, he's Bro- pulling him about, like, it's just... With, with Brody, I think he knows that if, you know, if he brings Brody along, then he's the sheriff, he's going to be in charge once they get out there. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, when you think about it, Hooper's the only threat to him. But they, they said that Shaw was terrible to the Dreyfus yeah. on set. One of you used to just constantly... Yeah, but up, like, it, was, it was that thing, like, you that had... That method, I think, you know. Yeah. yeah not method, but the, what, more just the sort of well, stay-in character, if you know yeah. what I mean. Or was it the fact that Shaw was old school, he was established Hollywood actor, and then you had the likes of... Richard Dreyfus, you know, and you know the likes of um, Dustin Hoffman with these young, upcoming, cocky and they were, know, they, they were New York Jewish actors, who, very sort of different types of leading men. Yeah, they were. They were. When you think with Shaw, I mean, Shaw, you know, like you say, you know, he was a Bond villain. No, oh, yeah, he was physically imposing. He, you you know, he was brought yeah. on because he was at the time they said he was the only man that yeah. could like, become a threat to, yeah. to Sean Connery's Bond. Well, like, look, you know? if I mention Hoffman. Um, Lawrence Olivier in Marathon Man gave Hoffman a, yes. a, a, a hard time. There's that famous line he said about um, you just act, you know, when um, Hoffman said he, he couldn't yeah. do a scene. It's, yeah, it's called just, acting. It's called acting. You just yeah. say the words. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe it was, a, a you know, just a, I think a level that, yeah, of that the, sort. There of. must have been that sort of level of resentment there, like yeah. you say. Because I suppose, I mean, to a lot of ways, shows come up from the sort of like the Western sort of age, haven't you? Of the, you know, men mm. being men, yeah, like, yeah, you know, nam, yeah, grizzled men, like you know. It works so perfectly, doesn't it? And you've got to think of his contemporaries at the time would have been sort of Burton and you know Richard yeah. Harris and people like that. Yeah, good sort of like English hard drinking. God, yeah, you know. Because Robert Shaw liked a drink, didn't he? Oh yeah. Dear me, didn't he like a drink? Yeah, look at him. All, well, Robert Shaw, Richard Harris, Oliver Reed. How old is he in this film? He's not particularly old. He, he was fifty-one when he died in nineteen seventy. So what did I say? Seventeen seventy-eight. So you'd have been forty-seven. Forty, yeah, forty-seven. Well, 40, 40, well, forty-six, forty-seven. Yeah, forty-six when he would have filmed in seventy-four. So he, I'm not, you know, he's not old. Like, well, why do you think I'm? For, <laughs> I'm forty-five. The end of this year, that guy got at least 10, 15 years on me. Yeah, he yeah. Looks like he oh God, yeah. Made yeah. Out of leather, you know. So obviously this film was released in the year of your birth, Neil. It was. There's two 45th anniversaries. This is yours and yours's. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. Don't we doing so right, spe- yeah, this whole jetty here, uh, th- th- this was all built for the film. Colourful, he is indeed. <laughs> That little line, oh yeah, don't use the fireplace in the den. It's just he's he's trying to think of just the, you know something inconsequential to put her off the fact that he's going out to hunt a twenty-five foot long great white shark. And again, I think it's much the same role in his house as is in a town. He likes to think he's in charge, but he knows he's yeah. not really. You know, I, watching it now, it, it surprises me how little Lorraine Gary is actually in the film, but she's just perfect isn't she you, you, so you do remember being in more of a sort of pivotal role really don't you like the, yeah yeah well obviously she's in late in the later yeah. films but she's she's just amazing and 
you know, they, they make a believable couple. Now, this is like that little look that he gives her there, the, and the, she. This is the only Billy Crow, but I don't think he'd have done that because, in my mind, he's a gentleman around women. Yes. I yes. don't think he would have done that. No, no, no. And here we go. The cut between Acts One and Two. Incredible shot between the actual, you know, the the, the shark jaws and Quinn Shack scene. Which again, I did point out to our friend Stephen Simpson on Twitter the other day, but I don't know if he came back to me. It's a very similar shot in Jewel through um, a laundromat washing machine. No, door. you did, and that's you did Act yes. One and Act Two as well. That's the yeah. point where he suddenly realizes the truck's coming again. Yeah. You did, and I applauded you for pointing that out. I'm rubbish for Twitter. I mean, I can never see whether anyone's like to know what. It takes me out ages. I liked it, and yeah. I commented on it. Yeah. That's my contribution to film, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he uses the same shot in Jewel. You, you, sell, you sell yourself done short, then. my friend. Then. Done then. <laughs> this will be your contribution to film. You're the first ever Jaws audio commentary. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And apologies if anyone else has done one, but... We're, we're, we're staking the claim. They weren't born in the same year. They don't deserve it. No, well, I'm no. not gonna... <laughs> And is Jaws their favourite film? No. Exactly. Exactly. The chumming scene. Yeah. No, is this the chumming scene or... This is... No, this is literally... No, just, this is not the chumming scene, is it? It's, the, giving, it's, it's almost leading you to that... Th- um, this is the false alarm scene, yeah. isn't it? Where the... Um, oh, if only we had some of those beers now, Neil. With the, the, the ring pull that comes great, completely off. Now this little scene again. No, this the, is improvised, isn't it? Yeah, the can crushing and then the, the crushing of the. Um, it's a Spielberg came up with this. Yeah, it? of the plastic cup. And that's why I say I think a lot of time he sees Dreyfus as especially Hooper as being his avatar. Yeah, yeah. Because he actually quite looks he does, similar yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to Spielberg. Yeah. But again, we're getting all these little things all the time. Like the loose compressed thing. it. Yeah. They're not though. I don't think compressed air tanks like that do blow up as. But you know, again, I. Well, the, the end, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying everything in this. The film. ending to the film was Spielberg's idea, and he was told by Ben Schley because the ending to the book is basically the ship shark gets harpooned and sinks down to the water. But how boring, yeah. And just, he said we need more than that, and he came yeah. up with the compressed air thing. And when yeah. he, all the experts had got leave and everyone told him that wouldn't happen, he said, "Look, if I've got him for two hours, oh, they'll God, believe yeah. me for three minutes." Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's all yeah. about the Spielberg that ending. But again, like you said, the compressed air is... It's almost that thing, in it? You, you, it's, it's hard because you can't remember seeing it for the first time because it's such a sort of prevalent film. But no, straight away, I, if I you can't. were going to this film blind, straight away you know then, right, it's compressed air, that'll blow up. Yeah. You buy it. And it's only, you know, in prep for this, I've actually read that, you know, someone commented that it wouldn't. I'm like, well, I don't care I don't because care. it's one of those things that... Well, again, you're, you're telling me that a compressed, compressed air canister's never blown up. Again, it's going back to the rule I always use. Could John McClane jump off that building with a hose pipe wrapped around him? Probably, Probably not. not. But I kind of accept that he did. By that point <laughs> in the film, he did. Yes, absolutely. And if you can stretch the ima- your imagination to that point, you're all right. It's when films go over the top. That's when, you, that's when you've got yes, to Yes, agreed. I love how he just, like, just quietly... Quietly puts the straps on and then... Just yeah, he, he knows us coming. Everyone else is. Brody's doing it. You know, he's distracted. They've all reached that point of boredom now, haven't they? Yeah, got it all keyed up, all ready for action. And they're just facing now. They might be here for hours with nothing. And it's the size on that fishing rod and the reel as well. I've never seen the. You know, at that point when I first saw this film as a child, I'd, n- I'd never seen a fishing oh, rod that big. 
I'd been on boats with, you know, with my dad, with my uncles, with, with fishing rods and just but that, you know. What the hell is he going to catch with that? My, ex, my ex-father-in-law went marlin fishing in uh, Florida and was using one of them and was joking about catching a shark yeah. and then caught a shark. Good Lord. And he's, he's still got it in his workshop. Wow. Right? I think it's about, about 13 foot long. It's a tiger shark. Holy cow. Like okay. the one they actually... Yeah. That was 13 foot, the one they caught uh, but he paid, film? He paid for the shark to be stuffed and yeah. they charged him an absolute fortune for shipping and stuff like that and then sent him a fiberglass replica of the shark. You're kidding me. <laughs> oh, from, my you words. know, he's back home. What's he going to do? Yeah. But yeah, he was joking around about it looked like the, the fishing rod off Jaws and then, yeah. then he caught the shark. That's the only good thing i got to say about my in-laws. Or ex-in-laws. Don't worry, don't listen, don't worry. <laughs> when we start making money off it, they probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Again, look, look, look at the horizon. Not a boat in sight. Yeah, it's, great. You some know. of the fan fan sort of artwork do you see of this one scene here with the barrels and stuff like yes. that you can see why because it is like it's perfect isn't it? it's almost like a canvas isn't it it is yeah Bill Butler the cinematographer granted when you're working with something that's out of the norm and you and it's on the sea it's just like you know um, shooting Lawrence of Arabia you know, it's, it's in a way it's not difficult to make the desert look beautiful but, but it's also difficult not to make something big and expansive just look boring in the scene Absolutely, you know? yeah, and I think again that a lot of that's down to Vernon Fields' is editing because yeah. they never linger too long on a shot, ever in this film. It, it is, you know, this whole film is a masterclass of editing, cinematography, direction, performances, writing, uh, film score. Everything is perfect. You know, people say, yeah, the shark looks fake. I, I, yeah, but I, by that point, I don't care if it does because so it's. It was almost a running joke. I don't. This was something of our childhood because I don't know about you, but as we were kids, there used to always be a sort of thing that your parents and like even on TV and stuff they joke about. Oh, well, back, the shark back to the future too. It's a joke in. Yeah, in, you know. But I don't actually think it looks that bad. I gotta be honest. No, not at all. <laughs> Notice the the sun the sunblock on uh, Brody's nose yeah. there, and again that's something I didn't realize until I first saw it on Blu-ray. Yeah. There goes a split diopter shot there where you got Roy Scheider in perfect focus and the, the, the C in the background also in perfect focus. <laughs> the, fact, the fact that Quinn calls Brody the chief as well, yeah. it's, again, he gives him that much more respect than he does to Hooper. I'm going to have to retweet the series of photographs I did with my children last year. I think uh, you should. Where we recreated scenes from Jaws. That's gonna to have to go back out when this episode is definitely. I love the fact that he thinks it's like a big tuna or a big swordfish or something. So he just gives it to those two just to carry on. It's like he can't be well wasted his energy. Yeah. Are you really catching a thirty foot great white with that? Twenty five. Twenty five. Oh, yeah, with that. With that. With that rod. Hell though. no. My God, no. Now, I was always un- under the impression that a 25-foot great white shark was a myth. It wouldn't happen, but apparently... Yeah. Um, that's why I'm getting 30-foot, but that's what yeah. I was looking at. Earlier, According to Carl Gottlieb and the research he did, uh, 25-foot great white sharks have been seen. Yeah, the 30-foot one, they call it... Um, is it big blue or deep blue, they call it? I think it's 33-foot is the biggest one they've, they've got recorded. Wow. <laughs> I 
See, we're doing it again. Yeah, you, you can't help it. Robert Shaw talking. talks. You cannot. You just can't talk over him. It's different. We, we were doing this thing with Heath Ledger, weren't we? On the, we uh, were, the Dark Knight. Because they're so, so iconic. They're just mesmerising. They are, they are. I do apologise, dear listeners, but... Um, I, if anyone's watching this in tandem, we're watching the film, they appreciate us being quite... I'm sure they will. Yeah. And like I say, you don't have to watch or listen to this episode watching the film, but I think, you know, it might help. Like that shot there. The um, poster artist Sam Ghibli did an incredible poster based on that shot where you're looking yeah. top down onto the boat with uh, Quint in the foreground in the crow's nest he did an amazing poster yeah like you said so many so many great posters from independent artists uh, you know about this film like Tony Stella has done yes, his own yes. done a great one the Chemin scene. The Chemin scene. Oh, the Chemin scene. One of the most famous lines in the film history. And uh, ad lib by uh, Schneider. Yeah. Because that's the thing, we don't realise how much of this film was actually rewritten on the night. One of, you know, they were basically like a small sort of theat- theatrical company, weren't they? God, yeah, yeah. A, war- a sea-based theatrical troupe. I don't think Shaw was adding much in the night time, but... <laughs> yeah. And here we go, the first go. first proper big reveal of Bruce. Obviously, Bruce the Shark, named after Steven Spielberg's yeah. lawyer. <laughs> I'd still accept that shark being fine. I think it's perfectly fine. In fact, I would rather see that than a CGI shark. Oh, hell yeah. My God, any day of the week, you're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, just sums it up perfectly, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, I think we get a little thing of... Of Brody's sort of backstory there, don't we? Because he's scared of water. He's obviously completely unsure what's going on with the shark. Yeah. When he's seen danger, he can still be glib about it. That, yeah, man, yeah. that man's seen some things in New York, haven't he? Yeah, yeah. But nothing like this. Yeah. You know, this is... Look at that shot. That shot of all three of them. Like Roy Scheider. Like, is the, the, just the is luck he's got with that cigarette just, in his mouth. and Basically just a fin being dragged under the water. And yeah, that looks yeah. so effective, this, doesn't it? This bit of music here. Hairs on the back of your neck yeah. moment. Did, I, I'm not going to say that this score is better than The Empire Strikes Back or, you know, The End of E.T., but this is a perfect film score. Yeah. And as much as, you know, our mutual friends and whatever have, have discussed film scores at length and, and tried to suggest that other composers might be as good as John Williams, I've got to say it. I think it's hard to deny the fact that John Williams is the greatest film composer of, of our lifetime. You know, I can go back and forth, but yeah, on, on the strength of this, yeah. I'd say on the strength of this and so many of his films. Yeah, I'm not going to... You know, is John Williams as versatile as someone like Jerry Goldsmith? Possibly not. Jerry Goldsmith's a chameleon. Yeah, I was going to say Goldsmith's more versatile. Yes. And I, Goldsmith has done some incredible film scores. Some of my favourite. We, you know, we've dedicated a huge episode to him. But I just can't deny the fact that I love the, fact, I love the fact he didn't want to go further out onto the jetty. Now, yeah, I, I need to. I need a. He needs it for scale. I need, yeah, something <laughs> in the foreground to give us some scale. <laughs> yes, but sorry, he's fishing. Yeah. Quint is just a complete shit, isn't he? Yeah. Complete shit. Ahab. You'd be, you'd be hanging onto that bow so tightly at this point, yeah. would you? <laughs> when you go down that little side piece there. Obviously, as we later learn in the famous Indianapolis speech, 
Quint. This is a revenge film in a way. If you look yeah. at it from Quint's point of view, this film, you know, since <coughs> 1945, when uh, see, that's what we're saying. If you look at the amount of jaws he, you know, he's gone on display, mm. how many he's been catching over the years, there's been no shark attacks there. Do you know Neil, when we do prep for episodes and we learn things that sort of spoil things for us about yeah. films? Do you know the Indianapolis speech? The date he says the ship went down. It's wrong. Is it? Historically, it's not correct. And that upsets me. What is it to do with the fact that they've only just been it was declassified or something like that? It, if it was, then great. Because I know it's not in the book. Yeah. Because at the time of Benji wrote the book, it was still classified. Right, okay. There you go then. Well, I, 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 Again, on one of the documentaries I was watching, they were saying after Benji's housekeeper watched this film, yeah. she phoned in sick the next day. And he said, oh, what's wrong? And she said, my son was on the internet. Oh, shut up. Wow. And she read is... the, she, Obviously, she'd read the book, but it wasn't in the book. But she'd gone to watch the film. And he didn't know it was going to be in there. No, I think in the whole film, this is this is one of the best pieces oh, of yeah. score. He's waiting to get that perfect shot as well. He's so calm the way he does it, isn't he? No, again, if the shark had worked, would we have had so much emphasis put on the barrels? I don't no. think we would have. And I think. I love that you say talk about Williams' score as well. This lifts up after this sort of like almost joyful, triumphant yeah. thing. Now that we've got it, we've yeah. got it. Well, this is this is like the the seafaring yeah. um, cue, isn't it? Now look how upbeat and uplifting it is. Which is why it's hard to classify Jaws as a horror film, even though I'd say yeah, you know, there's a strong argument for it being a horror film. It's so much more than it's an I mean, adventure film. It's I, mean, I don't know. Just it's almost there. What? 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of it, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's very. I, yeah, when you see what type of film is Jaws. I mean, is it a thriller? The, is it like an this shot film? here of of Quint. It's that magic hour shot of him on on whatever part of the boat you call that the edge the edge of it. It's perfect. God bless Bill Butler. He did an incredible job on this film, didn't he? Beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. And like he's smug. He's yeah. smug, isn't he? He's like, I told you. Yeah. I told you. This definitely happens. Right, this is, right, watch this cat here, Neil. Right? We can get a bigger boat. Right, but oh, they, my gosh, that, that cut there of Brody, and they, they actually cut out of the scene before he's even finished his line. It's yeah. like a messy cut, but it, I don't know why. It just works. Oh. It's like this film. Yeah, we we're we're one hour and twenty minutes into this, well, into this recording. So I I don't know what, but we're probably about an hour and twenty four into the actual yeah. film. And and to think there's just over thirty minutes of this film left. So here we go. We're heading up now to one of the most famous scenes in the film. So I think most of well most of Hollywood at the time had, had a chance of writing this scene, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Shaw's famous USS Indianapolis speech is often cited as being an ad-lib, right? but it was actually originally written for the script by Howard Sackler, who was one of the several writers uh, involved in you know, the script of Jaws. But I think it was a, there was a few who had gone through, <coughs> and had gone through Spielberg's yeah. sort of like, you know, close circle. Like, but he, you know, even, yeah, the suggestions pa- like were... Like the Palmer had had a go in. No, it was... Um, Carl, it was John, John Millius. John Millius, so yeah. Carl Gottlieb, Spielberg himself, and even John Millius. But the final version of the speech, according to Gottlieb, who had kept extensive script notes as to who had contributed what to Jaws, was written by Shaw himself. 
I know with um, the Doll's Eyes line, Dash Snyder's line as well, isn't there? Dash Schneider came up with yeah, that, didn't he? Yeah, Schneider came up with that. All the more reason just to love Roy Schneider. He's just, yeah. just, just awesome. Well, you see, if you watch the, 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 I think it's called The Sharks Not Working. Yeah, 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 the and, um, documentary, yeah. Um, they sort of go on about how every night Spielberg was having to do rewrites. Yeah. And it was Schneider, Dreyfus, and uh, what's the name? The, uh, the wife, I think it was name, I can't remember now, the actress's uh, name. Uh, Lorraine Gary Lorraine Gary with the, the main sort of contributors to the rewrites wow sit with mm. him every night like yeah yeah well Lorraine Gary would have had a more prominent role in the making of the film because yeah. obviously she was the, the wife of the producer what is that scar that we see of Brody's it's, it's appendicitis appendix scar or it could be we're back in New York he was stabbed or whatever but it's just not as interesting to maybe them see if I think it was a stab wound I think at this point he'd broken out that's almost the look of a defeated man there yeah yeah I think yeah. with Brody I, my backstory for Brody apart from being <laughs> with Pop Idol yeah is he's someone who's just seen the wrong side of life in New York City as a yeah. cop and is perhaps almost guilty he's watched like a few of his partners die or on a few people maybe knowing how corrupt the NYPD were back yeah, then. Yeah, he could Obviously, have been the, going could back have been to the films like Serpico, yeah. yeah, he could have been the good man that wasn't willing to, you know, take a bribe and uh, and left. I think, like I guess I the sort of backstory I've got is he's, he's witnessed things and he's always come out unscathed and it's like, yeah. you know, I'm going to get my kids out of this because you know, you're lucky we last so long, yeah. that type of thing. And do you know I was saying earlier on, going back to when um, they were obviously fighting for clear horizons and stuff, the shooting of the shark and the orca at sea was all done once all the dry land and, and shark-free scenes had been done and typically... This actually fell in sailboat season. It was made worse by the fact that America's Cup had been held that year. So imagine the headaches of shooting at sea with a mechanical shark or sharks that never worked, as they should have, and then having to match the weather, and then on top having to somehow keep 30 miles of the horizon <laughs> yeah, it's, a big, it's a big yeah. chunk of horizon to keep it is. Yeah, because so, this is the thing with the Indianapolis, because they were sitting about the Hiroshima bomb, that's why yeah. it was classified for so long. Right, okay, so yeah. And it, that, their mission was actually successful. Yeah. They dropped the, they dropped the, the, there was parts of the bomb they dropped off to an island, very sort of Indiana Jones-like. Okay. And it was on the way back. They got, I think it was um, a submarine attack on them. Holy cow. Yeah. But like I say, seeing how about Benchley's um, housekeeper, like I say, she'd actually lost her son. Yeah. And she just presumed the ship had gone down and he drowned. And of course, she's gone to watch this now. I've having read Benchley's book. Yeah. Where there's no mention of it. They've put this in, and she's sat there in the cinema, suddenly realizing that her son didn't drown; he was eaten. Jesus wept. Now, there's just it, it I, was, I know they've done a film with Nicolas Cage before any smart ass says it, but if you ever want to do anything to do with Jaws, let's have a prequel of the Indianapolis story. But it was mooted around about the early two thousands after um, it was after Gladiator because. Yeah. Scott, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Russell Crowe, yeah. uh, friend of the podcast, or friend of Film 89. Friend of Film 89, Who's yeah. retweeted a load of our stuff uh, recently. No, not being bad. If you look at Quint there. Russell Crowe. Circa, you know, yeah. 2000 and, well, he, he did Master and Commander, didn't he? Yeah, 2003. But again, you know, I don't, you know, he grows, grows some mutton chops, a little bit of a moustache, yeah. and you, you know, he'd fit in quite well there. Why haven't, of all the things they mined, all the potential, you know, crikey, there's a nurse ratchet show coming on. Too. I know, I should. I reluctantly onto the Facebook you know, page. And the it might be good. You never know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sarah Paulson's an amazing actress, actress, but you know, Ooh. if they're going to do that, why haven't they done Indianapolis? Why haven't yeah. they made a film of that? But then you don't. Do we need to see it after no. we've heard this speech? Now, according to I think Dreyfus. 
and, and, and Shaw watching so Dreyfus and, and, and Scheider watching Shaw deliver this speech was just mesmerising you can actually see with Dreyfus there as well he's not yeah, acting yeah, he's, he's not, not acting, acting is he? he's just lost in his yeah. words isn't he You still would only give up. He's just uh, bobbing up and down. When I watched it with my son at this point, I, I, I had to watch his reaction. And he was just transfixed. He was transfixed throughout the whole film. And one of my proudest moments is, is when I asked him, in a, you know, this was a few months ago, I said, uh, no, what's, he, what's, what's your favourite film then? And no hesitation. Jaws. Wow. Nine years old. That was the answer you gave straight away. I was a tear in my eye. And if you notice there as well, the, t- the one guy he's talking about, what he's saying about the guy who's bobbing up and down, he says he was even younger than Mr. Hooper there. Yeah. And it's almost like he's just giving away a little secret there about yeah, how he's yeah, giving yeah. Hooper such a hard time yeah. because he's trying to make a man of him. Yeah. Because he's watched younger men than him die at war. Absolutely. Now, one little anecdote I want to say before we actually get to the scene, because I know we're going to be commenting on the scene itself, but the shot of the orca being hit sideways by the shark near the end. Now, during the shooting of that actual take, a big gaping hole was torn in the hull of the boat, and the boat began to sink. And Shaw and Dreyfus managed to get overboard, but Shida was trapped in the cabin. He eventually got out, but both of the Panavision, Ariflex, A and B cameras sank to the bottom of the ocean floor. Divers managed to salvage them, and the can containing a thousand feet of film, which they then rinsed full of fresh water and flew to New York, submerged in a bucket of water. By some miracle, the film was perfectly preserved, and that was the actual take that was used in the film. And when they got that call from uh, the lab saying, "Yeah, we've salvaged it. It's perfect," you know, they were just like, "Wow, that that's one, you know, uh, uh, one of many disasters in the shooting of Jaws." Just perfect little accidents, but. And I love this bit now because it goes from the sea shanty to a song they can all sing together. They suddenly become yeah, they all find little salmon grown. And of course, well-known fact that uh, Dreyfus would sing this song again, and his cameo in the beginning of Piranha 3D, starring Kelly Brook. Dear me, which I watched the other week because oh, no. it was starring Kelly Brook. Dear me, <laughs> see the barrels, and the barrel with a little tag, the yeah. little uh, flashing light. And we're here, you know, we're here now, an hour and a half into the film, and we're going now into the, you know, if it has got three acts, which I don't think it does, I think it's, it's two acts, but it's that, f- this is the that, final. Literally that point now, they just dropped their guard. Yeah. And if you know, they, they carry on singing, Quince, he knows what's going on there. Yeah. Start the, Start engines. the engines. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine the panic that you'd be now to see the water coming into that ship? Yeah. Fire. That's yeah. all we need. And how calm and how Quint calm is co- yeah. without the fire, will you? I suppose after you've you know, su- you know, suffered something like that in the Indianapolis, nothing really faces right. you. Yeah, let's talk about Quint then. And obviously now that we've had this Indianapolis speech... And this being, from his point of view, a revenge film. Obviously, we're going to see him go a bit crazy now when he smashes the radio up, when he pushes the the orca way beyond the engine's limits. He he's Ahab at that point, isn't he? Yeah, I think at this point he's, and I think it's the thing as well. He realizes this might be his only chance to get the shark as well. Yeah, because if they go back now, 
Brody starts talking about the size of the, the shark and the sort of mm-hmm. conditions that they're experiencing. Yeah. There's going to be a whole fleet of ships out there. Yeah, yeah. He wants the glory, doesn't he? He, he wants does. To himself, doesn't he? Is it the glory or is it just the fact that... Oh, I don't, yeah, glory's probably the wrong word. He... he, he the way I he see it, right? His, he wants his scalp. Quint, like. Quint has never been more afraid of a shark since that attack yeah. on the Indianapolis 30 yeah. years previously. The shooting star, star in the background. Which would become a bit of a Spielberg trademark. Is is it because when Quint became a shark fisherman, and there we go, there's yeah. two shooting stars. Yeah, I never noticed, I never noticed there was two. And the second one doesn't fit at all. It doesn't. Doesn't look. No. It, yeah. Again, I've seen. This, this is like when we put walkie-talkies into ET afterwards, as if we need another no, star. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. So, is it because that? When he became a shark fisherman, it was hunting sharks on his terms with all the gear, yeah. with a boat, from the safety of a boat, you know, with harpoons. Is it because, up until now, Quint has never felt that fear of sharks like he did when he was in the sea after the sinking of the Indianapolis? And now, that is the thing that pushes him over the edge. And again, I suppose this is the thing as well, he knows this is like the ultimate foe winner for him. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, glory is probably the wrong thing. I think it's... Do you think it's more a case of if he catches this this monster of a fish, he can finally lay the rest? Like he can finally yes. sort of say, "I've he's, done enough." Yes, he's conquered the shark. You know, he's done, you know. If you look, there's probably every breed of shark, bar the great white yeah. in, in that in that hut in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like um, Pete Postlethwaite's character in The Lost World. He wants to help hunt the ultimate yeah. predator, which is the T Rex. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, like you say, he's getting on in years. You know, he's got a nice. 10 grand check which I would imagine 1975 was probably worth a lot of money longer oh, yeah. than it's worth though here's a little interesting tidbit while we uh, have one of the quieter moments right so Steven Spielberg and the writer of George's screenplay Carl Gottlieb back in the day when they were both starting out in the business their agent was none other than Mike Medavoy he's back yeah <laughs> Mike Medavoy, being the man who would later leave the talent business to become the studio head, he founded Orion Pictures, the man who was responsible primarily for getting Paul Verhoeven to direct my favourite film, Robocop, and it's the same Mike Medavoy who follows us on Twitter. Oh, the circle's complete. The circle <laughs> is complete. There's a synchronicity to life. In the there universe. is a synchronicity to life, and here we are now talking about a yeah. film that uh, Mike Medavoy uh, brought two men together uh, to create. The baseball bat and, and the this radio. Is this, like you say, yeah. this is him where no, he's just Quint's just gone crazy now. Again, I don't know. Is he gone it's, crazy? It's, it's PTSD, isn't it? It's. <laughs> I think you're right, Dan. There's an element of the fact that Quint wants to be the one to. You call him a coast guard now, and he's yeah. got no chance. And I think this is like. Yeah, I know it's like a, probably a, a phrase that he'd never use as a character, but I think it's, this is almost his closure after all the years of suffering and stuff like that. He's going to take on the, the biggest shark he can find, absolutely, and then he's going to call yeah. it a day. He'd probably never go out and see again. Probably yeah, never he could. To, probably yeah, never go out to see right. again. Yeah. That ten grand's going to buy him a little bungalow somewhere. He's of course, gonna live the live the easy life. Because yeah. you look there when he's looking at the shark, it's it's almost in awe of it, but it's almost like this yes. is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. Well, you we saw back in in Quinn's shack, he's. He's obviously hunted and killed countless sharks yeah. over the. He's worked his way up the rankings, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He? And now this is it. This is the ultimate, the ultimate hunt for him, really. Oh, they get so much mileage out of those barrels, don't they? Fantastic, are they? I like them. And again, right, 
the and music. Again, yes, the again. music is is it would back up to uplifting at this point in the film where you could argue that <coughs> Spielberg should be ramping the tension and the fear and the horror and the terror up to the max, but no. That's what it again. It's just so well balanced in every respect. And Quint, uh, sorry, uh, Brody putting his gun on. Yeah. What's his little pistol gonna do? But, but again, I've used the word pass. I can remember years ago watching it, actually laughing when he starts shooting them with his little revolver. But I suppose that's like it's the only way he can sort of make himself handy in any way. Have you it? seen the outtakes where the gun kept jamming, wouldn't fire? No. Countless outtakes of Roy Scheider pointing that gun. Um, at the camera which obviously was firing blanks and he, he's using some quite colourful language when it jams which is the reason why uh, obviously Jaws uh, the film has retained its PG certificate on home video but the DVDs and Blu-rays were bumped up I think to uh, 12 or 15 because of the language, the, the language that Shida uses in the outtakes no, nothing to do with the fact that we see just separate you know, limbs and stuff and well the, the B, my understanding is the BBFC have got a policy of they will not up a rating make it more severe for a film they've already previously rated which hasn't had any additional changes makes sense I suppose yeah so if, if a, a, an existing film was given a director's cut with extra footage, it was more gory or whatever, they'd up the rating. But if a film remained unchanged, they would never re-rate it uh, more harshly. Here it is, the bit where Brody gets his gun out. But again, it's almost a precursor again, isn't it? If that's sort of like, you know, smile, you son of a bitch. Like, you know, he's taking aim and he's... Yeah. I, in fairness... If I was Brody at this point, or if I was just like anyone on that boat with a small revolver, I think I'd shoot at the shark. I'd give it well. a go. Yeah, yeah. like wear him down. God, absolutely, yeah. And again, it's these moments of quiet that make the. And you got to think with Brody as well. He's he's on a boat with two people who know what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. You know. Just floating. And that's that point I think Hooper knows doesn't he when, when he asks him why they're not going back to shore I think Hooper's yeah. starting to click on now when he yeah would you be confident with it to go and reach you to go those battles I wouldn't want to go anywhere near the edge of no that way shit, after seeing no. no after the chumming scene up like a stuff there <laughs> and again before we move into the climax and, and I forgot to say, Jaws won three Oscars. Verna Fields won for Best Film Editing, and rightly so, because the editing on Jaws, given all that footage that she had to go through with Spielberg uh, to stitch a film together, is nothing short of flawless. John Williams for Best Score, and he also won for Best Sound. He was nominated for Best Picture, but lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which we've just mentioned, yeah, funny enough. And uh, other nominees that, that year were Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, uh, Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon, and Nashville. Have you seen um, I think it's on YouTube you can see the reactions to Spielberg not getting nominated mm -hmm. how could a film be nominated for best movie but not the best director yes and it's all like sort of his contemporaries at the time and people like Michael Douglas and that just utterly disgusted like yeah, outraged yeah, yeah. you know speaking about how, you know disgusted as you right. already mentioned I, I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest it is an absolutely fantastic film 
Do you think at this time that this film wasn't given the same sort of regard? Absolutely, it was a it was a it was a monster film, a popcorn movie. Yeah, you you know, you you think of Jaws, you think of that poster, the shark, the fact that it's about a shark, a killer shark. It's. But that's you know that's like the argument we've had about some of the MCU stuff not getting nominated and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like 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 Steve has quite rightly said with the Academy Awards. When you have an Academy Awards ceremony, it should be um, celebrating the films from 10 years before, because only then, 10 yeah. years later, do you know if a film has attained classic status or not. Yeah, definitely. This is, is this the real bit? You know? No, it's um, the, the, the real shark footage was when um, it's, it's in a bit in the cage where Ron and Valerie Pretty Taylor, um, they were shot in Australia, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. And and as, a, as a kid, both my parents were so in love with this film that any documentary that used to come on, like I remember when Channel 4 first started, yeah. Ron and Valerie Taylor actually had, I'm not going to say a TV series, but a series of specials on sharks. Wow. And, deep, and yeah. I was amazed with the fact that they would actually show bits like this of, the, yeah, yeah. of Jaws and then show them doing it. And this is when you've got to realise now. I mean, this is when it becomes a sort of monster movie element, isn't it? Where the shark's yes. dragging them onto the scene. It is, yeah. Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is the sort of film that's going to win an Oscar, isn't it? But. Yeah, I. I think this is the greatest film ever made. Genuinely. I, Hands yeah. down, I think this is. Jaws is, for me. It's, greatest film ever made. It's, there's there's few films that fall into it, but it is like the definition of a perfect and, movie. Yes. Now you look, Steven Spielberg was 27 years old when he made this film. It's like when Orson Welles made Citizen Kane, a film which, you know, a lot of people will say he never topped, he never bettered. Now I don't think you know a lot of people could say different about Spielberg that some of his later films were better. You know, certainly films like Schindler's List, you know, Jurassic Park. Close Encounters, any number of films that Spielberg made after Jaws, you could say are as good as Jaws. I'd, I'd listen to any argument, but for me, yeah, I mean, like I say, I'm a massive indie fan. You know, oh like yeah, Raiders, God, Raiders yeah. in particular, I think is you know again another perfect film. I for agree me. fully. But there's just something about this, and there? there's just yeah. something about you know. It's the simplicity of it, but at the same time, something so simple is just made. Like so... you say, it walks such a fine line between being a, like just a sort of monster yeah. movie and like you know basically like you say as it was marketed, really like a popcorn movie. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the first film. proper blockbuster in a way. But then the gravity, the weight of the performances and the actors involved, and like you say, the directors, the cinematography, everything about this film. Yeah, it just raises it. You know, you want to watch a popcorn movie, go watch Deep Blue Sea. You know, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. But, you know, this, to a certain degree, go and watch some of the, the yeah. Jaws sequels, you know. But um, Jaws was the game changer, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the film, like, blockbuster meant that they were queues around the block from, yeah, from theatres. I'll I'd use the same analogy. There's great action movies out there, and then there's Die Hard. Yeah, agreed. There's, yeah. there's great monster movies out there, great shark movies out there, and then there's Jaws. I'd say great movies yeah. in general, because, I, like I say, I find it hard to categorise Jaws. I. Like there's the first glimpse of the coast we see, yeah. which obviously is done intentionally because it's to give us hope. The fact that the orca's going to get there, but yeah. right? Why? And those bowels now are going to enjoy us the medicine. I, I know. If anyone's going to be able to answer this question for me, it's going to be you. Why does at this point now it looks as if Quint is conceding to um, Hooper's knowledge and whatever? Um, 
because obviously he says then about the poison. You know, are you able to stick in with this poison thing? Why? Why does he push the boat so far? Knowing full well, he'll know. He'll know the limits of his own boat. Why does he push it? There's part of me wants to see that he's trying to maintain a sort of era of calm, and he's actually terrified inside because he's thinking he's going to end up overboard and eaten. And there's another part of me thinking suicide. He's letting fate decide. Yeah, he's thinking. I don't want to go. Yeah, if, yeah. If this, I, I don't want to go into shore yet. I'm gonna get these. I'm gonna get these two back to shore as quick as I can. But you know what? Should this engine burn out on the way? Well, that's just the way it's gonna that's be. That's gonna give me what yeah. I want, and it's gonna be mano and I think. And I think it's almost the case of if this ship breaks down now in the middle of the ocean, I'll have no option but to jump off and fight you, man. The man, the shark. Literally, I'll have that machete <laughs> in my hand, and I will jump in the water after yeah. you. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that face. That look. Like you say, like the singing I always took as before as being like sort of a sign of crazy, but I think it's more just trying to stop himself from showing any panic. Do you know what I mean? Like someone yeah. whistles when they're nervous. That's right. Because, like I say, he probably hasn't been this terrified since 1945. When I think he was all in the of a water. sudden he's realised that, you know, like you say, how much he's up against. Sure, absolutely. At least the fact that the shark's chasing him as well, it's like totally unexpected, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because realistically, a shark would never do this. But again, we'll allow that. <laughs> we will allow it because, like I say, you could say that this is an analogy for man going up against that which he doesn't understand, that which you know, man always thinks he's the dominant species on this planet. Oh, if, it, if it was me today, the shark would win. <laughs> There's yeah. no two ways about it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Otherwise, you'd have people protesting outside the cinema. Yeah. I think it's at this point Hooper's realising as well that we are proper fucked here, boys. One thing, oh, the Jaws did, which, you know, it, it demonised sharks, didn't it? People, people, if you if you kill a dolphin, you catch a dolphin in the net, you're a demon. Yeah. If, you, if you catch a shark... It, but it, you well, know, that was they, a surprising thing I was saying about the way I was watching the footage of the, the Great White in, I think it was 88 or 86, hmm. turned up in, that, on, on, in Amity, and, you know, on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. And they said that the, the refreshing thing was that people were saying you've got to save that shark rather than you've got to kill that of shark. Of course, yeah. Absolutely. No, for me, mate, they're, 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 they're there with snakes. We, the world doesn't need them. They do nothing for us. Get rid of them. Sharks? Yeah. Don't eat them. I've got I've got an undying respect for sharks. They've lived on this earth for longer than most creatures. Oh, they're they them and they they need to out, they right? need to outlive mankind. They, they they you know genetically they are perfect specimens. They are just you know. But do we really need them? <laughs> We wouldn't have this film if we didn't have them yet. No, I mean, no. You, look, this is the effect that Jaws has had on you. It's made you irrationally afraid of sharks. Do you know what? Literally. Whereas I have had that fear, but it's, you know, it's, it's no longer there in the same way as it was when I was a, a kid watching Jaws. So, you know, this is the bit where I think Quint concedes to Hooper's, you know, his, his know-how. The fact that Hooper might be the way that Quint gets this shark. Yeah, no radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, that little AT montage now of yeah. uh, the, the cage being constructed. I like to think you'd have put that cage together before you'd set off. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact he just puts a little cork on top and. That has to stop it spilling out. Oh, yeah. God, I've never realised that. Yeah. 
Now, like I say, I would get in a cage with great whites, but I wouldn't get in that cage with a 25-foot great white. No, no yeah. chance. You've got to think, see, you know, when you're saying about that, I mean, you try, you know, try holding off a, a strong dog. <laughs> it jumps on you. What chance you got against a shark? I'm in a cage. I'm in a cage, like... Yeah, like, you know. These tour operators wouldn't do it if it was that <laughs> amount of risk involved. Again, you're irrationally afraid of sharks, Neil. Come on. Listen. You're like me with spiders. I've got a house cat that can fuck me up, right? Well, if well, we, do, if we ever do a commentary on arachnophobia, our roles are going to be reversed. But at the moment, i got to say, dude, you're being irrational. <laughs> you are not at risk of being eaten by a shark. <laughs> Do you know the worst part is what he said at the beginning when Brody says, oh, is it true about a three-foot award? The, the, the bit with the... That's in, echoed in my head. Yes, I know. Ever since I was about seven years old. I ain't got no spit. Uh, it's like the... He's, he's vulnerable, you know? Yeah. Is he sacrificing himself here? Well, again, I suppose it's a case of, you know, you know, for him, all's lost, isn't it? But... It's like no last words from, from no, Brody. You've got to think as well with Hooper. I mean, when they were on the night time, when they found, you know, when they found their Ben's head, yeah. he jumped into that water without a care in the world, didn't he? Yeah. And I know. now... Yeah, this, this oceanographer, this shark expert, he's... Absolutely he's terrified. terrified. Of course he is. No, you know, like you say, if this, this shark's just, like, smashed a boat up, you've watched it do this and do that, that case doesn't look that secure to you. <laughs> I'm not being bad. <laughs> Of course, the famous thing is now that this was filmed off with the tailors. They wanted to put a little person in the cage, didn't they? Yeah, little, put a little person in the cage, obviously, to make the shark look bigger because the actual real life shark was nowhere near 25 Fif- foot. Yeah, I think it was 15 foot. Yeah, yeah. And then the shark got caught in the cage and a little person with a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, and it is the bit with the shark thrashing about on top of that cage with the, you know tangling those cables is just terrifying. Especially again, when you know that it's real. But again, like you say, right on the spot as well, because Hooper was meant to die in this part. Wasn't yeah. it? it was literally the case yeah. that they thought... Right, and again, thank God, God right, the right, Gottlieb and made those yeah. changes and, and got rid of that affair, because we don't want Hooper to die. But Hooper was going to die in this anyway. It was only because... It was literally it was only rewritten into it because of the, 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 the incident with the little person yeah. in the cage. Because you were actually supposed to see Hooper get eaten by the shark. Oh, see, that would... That, and no, they couldn't film no, that scene. No, then. no, wrong. See, all these little happy accidents that happen yeah. and turn this film into what we've got. Would you want to stick Why would you hold the spear out like that? I know, obviously, we're talking from a point of hindsight, but, oh, God. That was your only hope, this, Hooper. Like I say, this bit's real, this bit, isn't it, with, the, with this shark getting caught up in the cage here? Yeah? That's a real great white. Yeah. Jesus me, mother of God, look at the size of that thing, and that's not even, you know... I think realising you had that. Would you have some sort of pulley system to get me out of there? Yeah, they did. did <laughs> so I've got a rope or something. Yeah. yeah. And now he can't. <sighs> and he's got to make that decision. Now, does he want to swim down and get it? You know, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, look, right. Look at the way that that, mechan- in, in inverted commas, mechanical shark is moving and thrashing about. That, that sells it for me. Yeah. It looks fleshy. You know? They were painting that shark every couple of days because when they built it in the workshop, what they didn't realise was that paint and whatever it is just wouldn't react well with salt water. Now, this is the bit that is just absolutely terrifying. Being in that cage as he's smashing it open, that big, huge, gaping mouth. Well, you say you've got nowhere to run, have you? Thank God he had the knife. 
but still, that's going to be only of. It's going to be. A it's going to be of little use. Scratch in there. I like the bit where he dives away and we don't find out until the end yeah. what happens. Now this bit's the actual there. real bit now with a shark called on top I mean, of the Look at the size of that thing. And it's that thing as well. You can't do anything else but hide, like you know. Can you just think if that accident when Ron Valerie Taylor were filming that hadn't happened? Then they couldn't. They couldn't have really artificially created that scene. Oh, obviously, never. the shark being tangled up is the thing that allows Hooper to escape. Yeah, it, it's, it's 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 these perfect little happy accidents that all just. I mean, when you look at that being the real shark, that is, it doesn't actually look a lot. It's the shape, the shape, the shape of the, the nose, the snout, whatever yeah. it's called. It is is. Well, that's why they were saying they couldn't get it right with the mouth because it looked like it had jowls because it was a part yeah. of hydraulics with the yeah, mouth yeah, yeah. Open. It's just our realization now, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, what he's gone. Hell? We're not even allowed to catch our breath. Because any minute now, he is coming. Yep, he's back. The shark jumping out of the water onto the orchid. Yeah, it is ridiculous. But like you say, by this point, Spielberg's got us in his yeah. grasp, hasn't he? He's got us. Look at that. I mean, you know, obviously the, the orca's on a gimbal. and See the gas bottle. Yep. Cooper had his revenge, didn't he? He said, yep. he, he said don't mess around with... Oh god! In this scene, this was the bit I was most concerned about with my um, with my son watching it in the cinema was how he would react to this. It's just the fantastic, the panic, and like I say, the scream now yeah. when he gets bitten. And then it's the scream, and then it's that. It's uh, horrendous. You can see the teeth in his yeah. torso, and then the coughing up of the blood. Well, I love how he keeps he keeps, he keeps stabbing him, doesn't he? Stabbing, stabbing him, he? him in the under the eye. Jesus, yeah. this is a PG. This is a PG. Almost like um, biblical sort of resurrection sort of pose that he does as he goes down. But yeah, crucif yeah crucifixion, crucifixion pose. Yeah. But th there's, that's it now. That's Quint gone. It, yeah. It's kind of like an unceremonious end to him or for him. Bruce is like, back for more. I'd be having him in the eye, wouldn't you? I'd be stabbing him in the eye with whatever yeah. I could I wouldn't grab. be aiming for his mouth. Look at all the dangly bits of flesh hanging off his teeth. This is unbelievable. This is, you know, it's PG. It's crazy. <laughs> Brody's trying to like. <laughs> and you know, you know, Neil, we love set up, uh, you know, set up and pay off. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the gas bottles have been referenced several times in the film, the um, air tanks. and. But again, then so sort of subtly, you're not looking for it. Yeah, you know, just, it never feels ham fisted. It, it never feels. It's almost like a, you, every time you see something like that, you just want to sort of give a little silent nod to Spielberg, and you're like, yeah, yeah nice one. Like, nice one, Stephen. Absolutely. Nice is the fiberglass boat now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I th yes, I think this is the um, the Orca too, as it, as it were. Yeah. Which again, it looks fantastic. Doesn't look anything unlike the yeah. the one that they've been using for the majority of the film. Again, right, little, Neil, this little music player there, like yeah. This build up to the big end, the big you know shooting and boom, destruction of the Death Star. When have you seen such a, a perfectly climactic ending in a film prior to this? No, you know that sort of boom and yay celebration, just like in Star Wars with you know where Han rescues Luke and gives him that chance to 
fire on the Death Star. And I love the sort of like like you say like the sort of futility of doing that and trying to stab him with yeah. a harpoon. You're not going to get anywhere, but you know if I was all you had to hand, you, you would do be it. doing it. Yeah, you fight tooth and nail, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's just the tension that he's literally just a couple of feet above that water now. That, that boat see, is going down. This is his last chance now. Yeah, you can sort of see it sinking bit by bit. Like, yeah. if you look, it's actually sinking too fast. It is. It? Yeah, yeah, it's sinking. Yeah. You know, you could have could have drawn out a little bit more. Like, like chewing a cigar, really. Yeah, it's leading up to one of the just the all-time great lines. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Which bitch isn't actually audible? No, it's not there. audible, is it? And it was weird because, like you say, when you watch the sort of behind the scenes thing, I almost thought they're cutting it out just because it's an extra, but no, it's no, not, not it's audible. it's actually not audible. Oh, no, listen carefully. Yes. Guys. Yeah, go on. There's much made about the, the roaring noise. Yes. Being from Duel. Yeah. yeah. No. I didn't. As we're going to call up on later sequels, they took that to the stream, didn't they? But no, it was the same. It was a B movie dinosaur, wasn't it? Now, my understanding was that that noise was from um, the where in King Kong, where it fights the um, could well be I, dinosaur. I saw Spielberg describe it as a B movie dinosaur. Yeah, but it's exactly the same noise as they use for um, the truck in Duel. Yeah, in Duel. Yeah, when he goes over the edge, at the end. And of course, the roaring shark will come back in part four of the series. Oh, good lord. And here we have to obviously the return of Hooper. Which, uh, <laughs> I think he's kind of like. He hasn't realised now that nothing else could be in this water now. Because <laughs> 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 instantly I would be thinking, no, I've just watched Chum in and what that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's coming now? I love this bit as well. He got sort of like the laughter and then he just realised about Quint. No. No. It's like shit. As much as he, I didn't like the guy, you know. And it, as I said in the piece I wrote about Jaws, it's at this point I always feel the same thing. Mm. This is it is, isn't it? It's like every time you watch the film, when you get to this point, you just realise how good this film is, don't you? It's like as much as regards you give it, every time you watch it, it's like, yeah, it's like, another, it's like another gift's given to you. Yeah, it, it's just them, um, you know, they've made this makeshift little raft with a barrel. Again, the barrels. How much mileage have you had of those barrels? Yeah. It's perfect. And it... And it's... And I just, you know, like you say... So simple, yeah, and then like, it's like, yeah, it's good. Do you know, I... I can't state you know, how much this film just means to me. It, 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 it's just, it's always been there, isn't it? Yeah. It's always been there. Like I said in the piece I wrote about, when I think about the, the word movie, I just think of Jaws. Yeah. Because it's something, it, it's not a drama. It's, it's not something that you could have lived through yourself. It, it, it's just something but again, I think it's something everyone relates to because it's that sort of feeling of helplessness. Yeah, if you're fear in, of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like you say, there's nothing more scary than something you can't see. That's right. That's why the ocean, which covers the majority of our planet, remains so yeah. frightening to us in many ways. Perfection, mate. Perfection. It is. It is just absolutely perfect. And we've done it. We've covered one of those 
Hol- oh. One of the holy, I'd say for yeah. me, the big one. And something I was quite scared about actually trying to comment all the way yeah, through, and I, I found know. it remarkably easy because yeah. the film's just so interesting to watch and so intriguing to watch. It is. Well, there you go, uh, guys and girls. That is the film that they call Jaws. And it would go on to be uh, the <laughs> most successful film of all time for uh, a number of years until I think two years later some film came out, didn't it? Neil yeah. knocked off the top spot. Like war, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Whether you've uh, stuck with us to watch the film as well or just listen to it as just a normal episode with us just chatting, um, hopefully, you know, uh, you could also hear the film in the background just for a bit of reference. But um, that's it. That is our third audio commentary now. Yours and yeah, mine, our second, second one. Second one yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just talking about a film without the ability to correct yourself or whatever. If we've made any errors, we do apologise. Um, you know, the only editing that'll be done on this will be tweaking the uh, sound quality um, if required. And I was going to say, a lot of the time we do, you know, we might not always sound like it, we do a fair bit of research before a film. This one we've kind of done just on things we've picked up over the years, haven't we? Yeah. Because, you know, it's, yeah. it's one of those films where you sort of, you're so interested in it that yeah. any bit of information you ever find out just somehow just gets locked in a vault in the back of your brain. It does, it? Yeah. it does. It's one of those films that, yeah, certainly for you and me, didn't require much in the way of research. I wonder if it's going to be the same as the first time I saw this film. And I went to bed that night and I was scared to let my foot hang over the bed in case the shark got me. I've told you that no, story and you're you regurgitating it. That, that was, no, that was me. That was me when I was, I don't know, I eight years was, old I or whatever. was under the bed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't let my feet hang over the edge of the bed because of, you know, and again, and that's irrational. Like you say, I've alluded all the way through. I, I went uh, snorkeling in Greece in my early 20s and for the first day, I had no problem at all. Mm. And then went to a sort of deep harbour and I could see someone's feet splashing at the top of the water and all of a sudden it was like I was seeing the shark's view yeah. of that person. Yeah. At that point on, I was never comfortable in the water again all the whole holiday. I wouldn't do it again. Wow. What else can you say really? What else can you say? Like you say, with, you know, there's several sequels to this film that weren't needed but they were yeah. always going to be made but it's just like you say, it's, it's a perfect movie. Isn't it, it is a perfect film. And I, I think it's the type of film as well that even someone who could tell you they didn't particularly like the film or they didn't have any sort of fond connection to it, mm. if they sat down and watched it tonight, would kind of enjoy it. You know, there would, yeah. would always be something. There is literally something for everyone in that yeah. film. Whether, whether my son, when he was eight years old, was ready to see Jaws, I think it was from the point of view that I wanted him to see Jaws when he was ready from the point of view of his ability to appreciate the film for what it is. And I think I timed that as well as I could have. It certainly had an impact on him. He's not afraid of the sea. <laughs> he's not he's he's a little better than me yeah he's not afraid of the sea um, because I think he realises the fact that as I've told him sharks are not going to be like this they're not going to attack us uh, in, you know, unless you're very unlucky yeah it, it was just watching that film with him last year was one of my favourite cinema experiences I told you my experience with the shark with the scoop with the, well I said we were snorkeling we were in scuba diving mm-hmm. and uh, we asked the, it was my brother my, my, sorry, my stepbrother and I went and uh, we were speaking to the, the local sort of uh, the barman in the hotel yeah. and he was telling us all the great spots to go to and uh, we did it the first couple of days and he said about this beach uh, Diana Beach he said you've got to go there and it's a beautiful beach and you know yeah. there's fish you'll see there and stuff like that and we were sort of swimming around and we saw like little swordfish and like, you know, it was like being in a tank like, and then like, in a distance we could just see this big sort of shape and it was probably a, a, a shoal of fish, right? Yeah. But when he'd set us to this, this beach, I'd said to him the night before, you know, were there any sharks in the water? Mm. And he said, 
there's no sharks, no sharks for three, 30, 40 years. No sharks, no sharks, no sharks been seen. Great. So we're coming back, and uh, when we saw this little whatever it was, this grey sheep in the distance, it could have been like I said, it could have been a dolphin, it could have been a scrawler mm. fish, whatever. But we got the, we got my stepbrother's ex merchant navy as well, so he knows his way around the ocean. Like, and we got out of the water quite quickly. We were sort of manned it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were scared. We both come out, and then like I was talking to myself, we saw this thing, and my brother's laughing, and he says, "Yeah, he thought it was a shark, but like you said, there's no sharks." And he said, "No, no, my English not so good." No shark attacks in the last 30, 40 years. Wow. <laughs> so there were sharks there. Anyway, anyway. There's no one in there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I hope you've all enjoyed uh, our little chat about the our analysis of and you know a bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff about Jaws. It's been a really important one for us. And Neil, we don't get nervous about recording podcasts anymore. I was, yeah, a little bit worried I was, about this one. <laughs> I was nervous about recording this. Yeah, a little bit worried about this one. <laughs> because this, this, for me, is one of those Holy Grail films. You know, I, My favourite film of all time is, is Robocop. I, I did uh, an episode three years ago with James Hancock for Wrong Wheel where he and I discussed Robocop at length. So, you know, apart from an episode where we uh, where I interviewed uh, Gary Smart, the producer of the Robodoc documentary, as, as far as I'm concerned, I, I've said my piece on Robocop now. And having Jaws hanging over us, you know, we've recently done The Empire Strikes Back, which is another one of our yeah, Holy big, Grail yeah. films. This was the one for me that I was thinking, we've got to get it right, we've got to do it justice. And so, the, the thing is, no matter how much we put into it, how good this or bad this turns out to be, we never will do it justice because, because you could literally spend hours talking yes, about this film and never do it justice. So, Neil, if people want to talk to you about sharks, your fear of sharks, <laughs> how irrational you are, uh, where, where can they uh, hit you up on social media? Uh, you can find me at Neil underscore Gaskin on Twitter. Fantastic. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. You can find us all and our writings on film and television at film89.co.uk. You can follow us all on the Twitter and Facebook accounts at film89uk. I think that's it. And thank you, everyone, for your continued support. And as we do say, we're doing this for free. We're giving you this uh, this edutainment for free, as it were. So if you could please leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts, we would be incredibly grateful. But uh, until next time, I think all we've got to say now is stay safe, stay happy, and more importantly, stay out of the bloody water. <laughs> <laughs> We're out of here.